I've got transsexual jewellery on. It, it, we'll explain later. One bit's quite nice, one bit I'm not so keen on. I like the red sparkly one. The purple one, eh, I don't know. I'm not convinced. Anyway, had the worst night's sleep ever last night. I normally aim to be in bed by about 8 o'clock. Half 8, 9 o'clock maybe. Well, I, I didn't get to sleep till gone h- half 11. Woke up about quarter past 12, half 1, half 2 and half 3. So... If I sound a little bit sleepy, that's the reason. And if I sound a little bit too boisterous, that's because I've just had a load of coffee. And that's the reason. Lots coming up on the show this morning, including a Thames Valley engineer says mobile speed cameras are unsafe and cause more collisions on our roads than they actually prevent. Well, the question is, do you think speed cameras make our roads safer? Should streetlights be left on in the early hours of the morning? We find out why one councillor is angry that they've been turned off. And here's something I know you want to have a say on. The New Economics Foundation says Luton is one of the least happy places in the country. Is Luton the worst place to live in the three counties? Lots of ways you can get in touch. You can go to facebook.com forward slash bbc3cr. I have your say up there. There's also going to be a picture of me and my jewellery up there in a little bit. You can text... 81333 starting your text 3CR or and this is the best way to do it I think if you give us a call 08459 455 555 BBC Three Counties Radio Mobile speed cameras are unsafe and cause more collisions on our roads than they prevent. That's according to an engineer from the Thames Valley area who has studied road safety data. Dave Finney says that his his research is the first of its kind in the world and contradicts the research that police currently use. We'll speak to him later on uh, during the show. And our reporter, Justin Dealey, will will be reporting live with a mobile speed camera unit somewhere in Bedfordshire. I'm not going to say where, because you'll be looking out for him and then you'll slow down. He's somewhere in Bedfordshire. But first, uh, Netta Glover joins us. She's chairman of the Great Brickhill Wing and Ivanhoe Local Area Forum and a member of its Speed Awareness Group. Morning, Netta. Good morning. You also help run community speed watch groups where locals catch drivers speeding through their villages. How does that work? Well, you, you set up the movable vehicle activated sign and you get several uh, volunteers, all trained, and they stand around in high vis jackets and, of course, everybody can see them. And it's fun to watch them all slow down uh, because they do. And some of them wave to you, and some of them they wave. They wave to you. Yeah, they wave and say yes, hello, and things like that. Yes. Are you yes. sure they're saying hello? Oh, <laughs> Are you sure do. it's not something yeah, else? They're very pleased because you see a lot of them are local. So yes. So they're pleased to see that somebody's doing something about the speeding. What's interesting? What you said there, Netta, was they yes. s- they see you in the high vis jackets, yeah. and then they slow down. Yeah. So that means that they are going too fast initially. <laughs> they're, they're slowing down because you're there, and then I, I would guess that once they get round the bend, they're speeding up again. No, you, I don't think they do because this happens. The the, the volunteers do it, you know, sporadically, but on, on a fairly regular basis. Yeah. And the motors coming through keep seeing them there. Yeah. And then they gradually become educated, and they think, "Gosh, you know, this is a village, and we mustn't speed through it." Um, you know, particularly, I think Stukely have found it found it very, very useful. They found, they're so encouraged by it that they're going to investigate and in, invest in some more. Netta, why did you start doing it? Was was there a, a problem there? Was it a particularly well, dangerous spot? Well, this is where the community working together has um, has come about because 
at the local area forums, we had these uh, meetings where we set our priorities for what we're going to spend the devolved budget on. Mm. And speeding in villages came up as, as a very, very strong indicator that it was worrying local people. So they just, they voted to spend uh, a certain amount of money on these movable vehicle activated signs. How much does it cost to run? Well, it's it's quite cheap actually. They they they've um, spent thirteen thousand pounds of of that. So that's a Great Brick Hill Wing and Ivyco uh, budget. Yeah, um, which is it's, it's, quite, it's quite a bit. The, the budget is about forty five thousand pounds, and they've they've spent that big chunk of the money towards it, and, and they're very very pleased with it. See, the, the the county council devolves this 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 money to the local area forums, and they get together and they say, you know, this this is what we're going to spend it on. This is what they've chosen to spend it on. What do you make of this this, this chap, Dave Finney, his research that spe- says speed cameras might actually cause more collisions than they prevent? Well, it depends on which speed camera he's talking about. Um, if he's talking about those yellow jobs that, that uh, report you straight to the police and you get fined, he may be right. Um, but... He's talking about mobile ones, I think. Uh, oh, he is talking about... Well, I, we haven't seen any evidence of that, because this laugh has only been doing this for... Um, only doing it this year. So we haven't got that sort of um, information that it's causing accidents. Right. Uh, and it sounds like you have a jolly good time doing it as well. Does do, do yes, someone bring out a well, flask it, and a box of sandwiches? It was huge fun. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, Netta, you keep up the good work. Thank you very much. Netta Glover, chairman of the Great Brick Hill Wing and Ivinghoe Local Area Forum and a member of the Speed Awareness Group. Well, what, what do you think? Speed cameras, do they make our roads safer? This chap uh, who's done the research, Dave Fenney, is talking specifically, I think, about mobile cameras. We'll ask him uh, a little bit later on during the show. But you do see it, don't you, with mobile cameras and with the cameras on the motorway, and I was on the A6 yesterday and the A1. People go fast, 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 fast. They see a speed camera. They slow down quite suddenly. They get out of range. They go fast, fast, fast again. And if it's a bit dark, or if it's a bit foggy, or it's a bit rainy, and you're stopping suddenly, then quite often the car behind you doesn't know why you've stopped or why you've slowed down, and that could cause a prank. Do you think speed cameras make our roads safer? Listen, I have had in the... I've got no points on my licence at the moment, I am proud to say, unlike Martin Clunes. Uh, but I have had, in the past, I've had quite a few points... I've, I've had I've had quite a few points. Let, let's just say that through speed cameras. It's, let's just I'm not I'm not bag, bragging. I've, I've had nine through through speed cameras, and I put my hands. Of course, I cursed when I got the letter, but I put my hand up. I've been caught speeding. I uh, took it like a man. I paid the fine and I got the points. But, uh, do they make roads safer? Give us your speed camera stories, please. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Also, talking today about Luton, is it the worst place to live in the three counties? If you live in Luton and you can defend it, or you think it's awful, give us a call. Or, if you live somewhere in the three counties that you think is worse than Luton. Morning, Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Isn't it a miserable morning? Oh, my word. Cold, wet... Just one of those mornings, I came out of the house this morning, I thought, do you know what, I'm really tempted to knock this on the head. <laughs> and it's only the middle of November. Imagine what it's... Imagine, for example, I don't know, the morning of the 7th of February. I picked that date for no reason, otherwise, apart from it's going to be really, really cold. If we get snowed in here, this is the question I was speaking, asking members of my team earlier on. If I get snowed in at three counties, did, did the BBC put me up in a swanky hotel to ensure that I can... I'm looking as a... Yes, I'm getting a nod. Paid for by your licence fee. 
Two stars. Two-star hotel. Not so swanky. It's a two-star hotel that I get to stay in, which, let's be honest, is better than no hotel at all. Better than sleeping on the boss's floor, which is, is, is what could have been done in other places. Now, if you do shift work, you may welcome the streetlights being left on in the early hours of the morning. Or, if you're tucked up in bed, you might think it's a waste of electricity if your road is lit up at two o'clock. Well, a scheme which has seen streetlights switched off in Hitchin between midnight and 6am is being called an absolute fiasco by a local councillor. Judy Billing wants Hertfordshire County Council to reverse the blackout, saying there has been an increase in break-ins and people feeling frightened. Well, our reporter, Serena Farrow, has been to Hitchin to find out how residents feel. It's too dark. I should have at least uh, one each end of the street on. If they want to close the others off, fair enough. And I wouldn't walk down the street at night now and it's pitch black. If I was a woman. So I think it's much wiser to have the lights on. It's probably, in the long run, it'll save money because you won't be chasing so many criminals, will you? It's a false economy. I think if my daughter was out walking the streets, I'd want lights, yes. And I certainly wouldn't want to walk along these streets here without any lights. A bit spooky. Well, yeah, we're just by this alleyway here, aren't mm. we, where, well, who's to know, no-one can really see no, you. that's right. I think they should have them on because of all the drunken revellers. Not mm. so much single women, but alcohol-induced accidents mm, at the best of right, times, let alone yes. the lights. No, that's right. As a rate payer, I'm glad that they're trying to save some money. I think people ought to stay in at night anyway. <laughs> oh. I think we've got to save money, haven't we? got to live within our means. I know in our street, when um, the lights went, and it was a bit scary. You need to be able to see where you're going because things go on all the time and you can never be too sure and if no one can see you you could be putting yourself at risk you could be in danger it's very dark of an evening and not many people can actually see very much down here late of an evening it's quite dangerous as well because the hedge is quite high so no one can actually see down here at all and we could do with double the amount of lights here because it is very dark and there's no lights from the church there's no lights in any other roads that look onto us but i suppose everyone's just accepted that's the way things are exactly that it's from a safety point of view not good at all well when we were younger there weren't lights they were they went off at 10 o'clock shows you how old i am doesn't it <laughs> not, not a <laughs> for you it's just kind of grin and bear it get on with it that's right well councillor judy billing joins me now good morning councillor good morning mixed reaction there some people think it's a good idea to save money some people uh, think it's a, a terrible shame and that they, these lights should be kept going that's right I think the most important part, though, is that the switch-off was done with no consultation and virtually no information to the people it was going to affect. Really? So it, just one, one night they just switched them off? More or less, yes. The uh, Tory county councillors clearly forgot that they're there to represent their constituents, not act against their interests. You've labelled the scheme uh, an absolute fiasco. Strong language. Why, why is it so bad? It's so bad because um, it's induced fear um, amongst many of the people, and some of them you heard from there who don't feel safe to go out at night. It was done as a, as a one-off shock, as I said, with no consultation at all. Um, there has been an increase in break-ins in some of our darkest streets, and we've heard from young people from the Voice of Hitchin Youth that many young people are now really very wary about taking part-time jobs in the evenings in our local cafes and restaurants because of the problems of getting home. Councillor, do we know how much money is going to be saved by this scheme? Um, I don't know the exact sum, but I know that it's not very great compared to the amount of fear that's being caused to people. Do you want the scheme completely scrapped or do you just want the lights on in certain areas? Is there a compromise that you would be happy with? There could be a compromise, but we'll only know what that is 
uh, when the county councillors actually speak to the people they represent and consult with them. It's perfectly possible that there are some streets that could have some of the lights turned out for some of the time during the night, but there are also some absolutely glaring mistakes that have been made in some particular streets where residents are getting together um, with petitions um, and many, many complaints to their local district councillors. I've often thought, Councillor, that, that there are too many streetlights, and one obvious way of saving money and electricity and all these things is to alternate. So instead of having every streetlight on, you have every other streetlight on. Would that, does that sound like a good compromise? It would sound like the sort of compromise that at least should be put to the people of the town rather than just acting without any consultation at all. We, we do have to accept, don't we, that, that, that in these times of austerity, that we do have to save money, however small it is. And also, we have to save energy as well, don't we? We're running out. We have to save energy and we could be looking at much more energy efficient ways of lighting our streets. And yes, we have to save money. But I would question very much whether the current scheme saves any money at all, given the propensity for increases in break-ins, the amount of police time and money that that costs, and also the possibility of accidents for people walking down their streets. How many um, more break-ins have there been? Um, I'm not sure of the exact figures. I did suggest that the police were contacted, but I get the reports on a daily basis um, from the OWL messaging service in the town, and I'm seeing very many more. How many people really need these lights? Because most people are tucked up in bed, and I I kind of drive through the streets about half four, five o'clock, and there's no one around. Well, part of the reason, of course, there's no one around is that many people are now afraid to be out at all without any lighting in the streets. But the point I've made throughout is that there should be consultation with the local people about which street lights they need, what sorts of energy efficiency those lights could be using, um, and what are the needs of the local people. That's all we're asking. Councillor, we have the County Council coming on later on. Uh, you, uh, we're gonna, if you could just say, ask a question, what would you ask them? We'll clip it and we will play it to them. Why haven't you consulted with the people of Hitchin about the streetlights that they're provided with? It's their town, it's their council tax. Please talk to them. Councillor Judy Billings, thank you very much indeed. We'll clip that, and when the county council come in, we shall play that uh, a little bit later on. What do you think about that? Maybe you're in an area where, it, where this has happened. Um, it's, it's happened in Hitchin. We know it's happened in other areas around the three counties. Uh, it, has it affected you? Are you scared to go out? If it did happen in your street... Would you be scared to go out? Or do you think, well, actually, come on, we all need to save a few quid. Getting rid of a few streetlights, in the great scheme of things, it doesn't make that much difference. As I say, I drive um, into work about half four, five o'clock. The streets are empty. And not necessarily just where the streetlights are off. I drive through Luton, I drive through other places where the streetlights are on, and uh, the streets are empty. At four o'clock in the morning, of course they're going to be. Oh, wait, four, five, nine. Four double five five double five. Should streetlights be left on in the early hours of the morning? And as I said, the county council will be on the show in about an hour's time, um, and uh, you can have your say. If you want to speak to the county council, then give us a call now and rack up your calls, and uh, we'll, we'll let you speak to them and put forward your concerns. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Does it really make that much of a difference? If I'm out at that time in the morning, I'm going to be in my car. I suppose I want to get from my house to the car, so that could be a little bit odd. It, it, it has always struck me as odd, though, that we have all of these streets, street lights on, when most people are asleep. There's a minority of people that need them. So how about every other street light is left on, or every third street light is left on? That would be okay, wouldn't it? Everything's covered by CCTV, so, and you're not going to go down a dodgy dark alleyway, probably in the daytime, let alone at night time. 
What do you think? Should streetlights be left on in the early hours of the morning? I just remember something. I lived in a flat for a, 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 about a year that was directly... There was a streetlight directly outside it. And I had rubbish curtains. And so it meant that nighttime, my room was filled with this horrible yellow light. I couldn't sleep at all. I wish that one had been switched off. I might have got a decent night's sleep when I was 24, for goodness sakes. 08459 four double five five double five and i can see the, the phones have gone mental isn't it funny what people phone in about they've gone bonkers do you think street lights should be left on all the time or should we save a little bit of money a little bit of energy and switch them off call oh eight four five nine four double five five double five oh eight four five nine four double five five double five bbc three counties radio Coming up in the next half an hour, if you live in Luton, you apparently have the lowest well-being in the UK. Huh? That's according to the New Economics Foundation. Is, basically, what that means is they're saying Luton is the worst place to live. Is it? Is Luton the worst place to live in the three counties? Phone up, defend it, phone up and attack it. Or maybe you live somewhere that you think is worse. 08459 455 555. And uh, our well-being correspondent, Justin Dilly, has been out finding what you think. And why am I wearing bracelets for people who are transgender? Find out more in the next half an hour. Yeah, I know, that's going to keep them listening. You can text as well, 81333, starting your text 3CR. Just before the news, we were talking about streetlights. Should they be left on? Uh, well, John is in Stevenage. Morning, John. Morning, Ian. Well, what do you reckon? Should we leave them on or should we turn them off and save a few quid? I, I think we should leave them on. My wife goes out at four in the morning and we've got a group of lads that share a house in our road. There's nothing wrong with them, but they come home from the nightclub at three, four o'clock in the morning... And they want to continue to party. Oh dear. And, and she's going out in the dark, there's lots of noise, she's very worried and concerned about walking to the car. And, and one of, the, one of the, the, the ways round it, we have technology these days, why can't we solar power the light so they charge in the day and they can be on all night? John, you've said something that's um, so st- simple and so obvious, but complete and utter genius. I don't know why we can't do that, we'll ask the council when they come in. That's a brilliant idea. You know, I, I, I think when you're driving down a motorway, and I spend an awful lot of time in the car, you see these weather stations solar powered that are feeding information back to the network. Yep. Why can't we do it with the streetlights? John, thank you very much. It's obvious, isn't it? So th- 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 there must be a reason why we can't do solar powered lights. Otherwise, they'd have done it, wouldn't they? Oh wait, four five nine four double five five double five. Maybe we'll ask the council later on. Paul is in Bedfordshire. Morning, Paul. Hi there. What, what, what do you reckon? Should we should we turn these street lights off and save a few quid? Definitely, yes. They should be switched off between two in the morning and five in the morning, like they do in Scotland. When I was away on holiday, I got burgled. Yeah. And the police said the reason I got so well burgled was that they could see what they're doing because the street light that hangs over our back door. They could see what they're doing. Hang on a second. So we just had the councillor saying that burglaries were happening because of the happening because of the darkness, and you're saying they they, they broke into you because it was lit by a streetlight. Yep, they could actually see what they're doing. <laughs> I'm laughing because it's so terrible. Yep. How did that? How does that make you feel, Paul? Terrible. And um, as your chap has just been on the phone about solar power street lamps, and Peterborough they do have solar power street lamps. Say that again, Paul. I missed that last bit. In Peterborough, we do have solar power street lamps. Really? Yeah. I wonder why we don't have them everywhere. It makes sense, doesn't it? They've just put them into Peterborough. Our street was trialled, and they're now doing it throughout the entire city. Paul, listen, thank you very much indeed. 08459 455 
five double five. He was broken into because there was a big street light outside his house and the burglars could see exactly what they were doing. Oh, my. That's terrible, isn't it? What do you think? Should, should streetlights be switched off at, at night between, let's say, one o'clock and six o'clock? Save a few quid. Or should we keep them all on? Just remind me. I'm not even going to say who that was. If you don't know who that was, just stop listening to the show. You don't deserve to listen to the show. I was taking my little boy out yesterday. We were supposed to go to this cookery cl- class and it was cancelled. It, it was a disaster. He was upset. But I was carrying him. We went to the library in the end and made up for it. I was carrying him home on my shoulders yesterday and I could hear him mutter. I could hear him singing to himself. Okay, He often does. He's a very jolly little chap. Singing to himself. I was thinking, what's, what's, what's he singing? I'm not going to ask him. I'm just going to wait. And then I heard him. He's, he's going to be three in January. I heard him say, um, come and watch singers play with the young generation. We've got something to say. My boy was singing the monkey's theme completely spontaneously. I am doing my job as a parent right. He was singing the theme tune to the monkeys to keep himself happy. Dear listener, that is good parenting, and I'll fight anyone who says it's not. I won't fight you in front of the child, obviously. That would be bad parenting. Now, Luton has been rated as one of the least <laughs> happy places to live in the country. It comes second from bottom in a list of more than 100 local authorities. That's according to the New Economics Foundation. Well, uh, our uh, Economics Foundation correspondent, Justin Dealey, is out and about in Luton this morning. Justin, whereabouts are you? Yes, hello, Ian. Good morning. I'm just outside uh, Luton train station at the morning. I have to say, you know, I've worked in Luton for many, many years. I've supported the football team since, what, 1985. Uh, Do you like Luton Town Football Club? Yes, oh, I yes, didn't know. Yes, you should have mentioned it on there at some point. It's a long sentence being a fan since 1985, <laughs> but I have to say that, that these reports come out all the time. I don't know how you feel about this, but it's just the same old story time and time again. People knocking loose and, it, it and seems not a lot li- to back it up. It seems a little bit harsh, and I'm not that familiar with Luton until I started working here, and I've met some lovely people. Uh, it's got t- uh, two uh, pound shops. I, I love it. <laughs> I, I, no, I genuinely do. I think it's a great place. Well, I've been talking to Bob this morning. He's lived in Luton all of his life. He's now in his 60s. He says that Luton is one of the worst towns in the three counties, and here is his honest assessment of Luton. There are lots of areas of Luton which have. Uh, descended into ghetto-like status. There are a number of areas of Luton, for example, where you wouldn't wish to be out at night and certainly walking on your own. So it really is dangerous as far as you're concerned, certain parts? Certainly, that's true. Um, My parents still live in Luton and uh, only two days ago the the front door of one of their neighbours was forced open at night and all the electrical equipment in the house was stolen. And certainly they weren't aware of it. But you can't say that burglary is confined to Luton. No, you can't. I was going to say, because, I mean, Luton, of course, has got its problems. But is it like any other town where it's got its good areas, it's got its bad areas? It's just like any other town up and down the country. Well, there's certainly a high proportion of ethnic minorities in Luton. And I was listening to the radio last year, and a statement was made, and I think it said that there were 143 separate languages spoken in Luton. Now, Luton's a diverse community, and by and large, the, the separate communities live side by side very well. But there's also areas of Luton where uh, the local population have been forced to leave their homes by incoming populations who have wanted to uh, populate a certain area. Okay, just lastly, are you happy living in Luton? After what you just said, I think the answer's going to be no, but but are you happy living here in Luton? I've lived here all my life. All my roots are in Luton, and there are parts of the town which are very nice. 
Um, we don't do our shopping in Luton, for example. Uh, we live on the outskirts of Luton. And yes, we are happy living in the part of the town in which we live. But we don't do our shopping in Luton because, for example, Luton is very difficult to get into. Uh, the, the, the roads of communication are very, very poor. There are basically only a couple of roads coming into the centre of Luton and they're certainly during most of the day, they're very, very heavily used by, by traffic. Appreciate your time this morning. Thank you very much indeed. <laughs> So the words there are Bob earlier on this morning. He's lived in Luton all of his life. Now, Ian, it did get rather heated uh, on this morning because uh, when you come into Luton and you talk about these type of stories, people do get very upset because yes. they feel that their town is being picked on. You'll enjoy this. I said to one man that Luton hadn't fared well in this well-being report. He said to me, oh, well, look at your hair, uh, which was quite an interesting <laughs> one. <laughs> <laughs> it, well, listen, OK, the, yes. the, the fact aside that he has actually got a yes. point, your hair yes. is ridiculous this morning. <laughs> what does that mean? It's a bit What's wild. the relevance? And then he walked away. Um, I spoke to two other men. Uh, <laughs> one man is moving away this Friday. He yeah. doesn't want to be named. Uh, he's moving out of the town again. He's lived here all of his life. Yeah. He says the town has become too rough. He's moving away for his family's sake. But I did speak to another man who moved to Woburn a few years ago. He moved out for the country life. He thought he'll be getting a better lifestyle, let's say. And he's recently moved back to Luton because he wow. prefers it here compared to Woburn, and Woburn is very posh indeed. Can I just, was it Bob that we heard earlier it on? It was Bob, yes. Bob seemed to, to, to say one of the reasons why Luton perhaps wasn't so good was the, the diverse mix of languages and, and mm. uh, ethnic backgrounds. I kind of like that about areas. That, to me, makes it all a bit more exciting, the fact that you can walk down Luton High Street and you can hear different, different languages and see people wearing different clothes and things like that. I, and I, can, I, I understand and appreciate that some people don't enjoy that. I think they're wrong. But I kind of like the diversity in various places. Well, I, I think it's great as well. I think what Bob was saying there is that, that, that some places in Luton have become ghettos right. over the years, and certainly when he was growing up in Luton, that wasn't the case. It's certainly the case now, but again, as I mentioned to Bob there, Ian, it's like any town. I live in Hemel Hempstead. I know for a fact, in Hemel, there's going to be good areas and yep. there's going to be bad areas that you won't want to go to. So, what makes Luton different to any other town in the country? I'm sticking up for Luton this morning. Well, uh, Justin, one thing before we go. Hmm. What earth have you done to your hair today <laughs> i walk away what do you think dear listener oh eight four five nine four double five five double five luton is it the worst place to live in the three counties i guess there are a couple of things if you live in luton either attack or defend that statement say yeah i hate it it's horrible or no it's brilliant i love it what, what on earth what, why are we getting such a bad rap or maybe you live somewhere else in the three counties that you think is worse can I just uh, make a public apology to everything bad I've said on air, and actually most of it's been off air, about Catherine Boyle, the, the uh, slapdash newsreader? She just brought me a cup of tea! Oh, she brought, she brought me a cup of tea. So, Catherine, I apologise for all of those emails and photographs I've been passing around to Three Counties staff recently. I'll try and get back as many as I can. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Now here's something: when you get your gas and electricity bills, do you find them confusing? I do. I haven't got a clue. I, I'll pay it. I don't know what any of it means. Well, this, this, uh, the first three hundred units are on this tariff, and then the next six hundred units it goes to. Uh, I, yeah, whatever. It can be very difficult, can't it, to work out what they're charging you for? Well, the government is to announce plans today to force the energy companies to cut the number of tariffs they offer you. The Energy Secretary, Ed Davey, is expected to say that firms will only be able to offer four core tariffs for both gas and electricity. 
Companies would also be forced to switch customers automatically to the lowest suitable tariff. The move comes amid long-standing concerns that many households are paying hundreds of pounds a year, more than is necessary for gas and electricity because of the confusing area, uh, confusing array of different tariffs. The issue has become more acute in recent years because of rising wholesale prices that have been passed on to customers. I- I'd like your opinion on this, dear listener. Have you bothered to switch energy companies, or is it a waste of time? You can do it online, can't you? I did it um, about six months ago. Saved, well, according to the website, I was going to save a fortune. I'm still getting huge energy bills. Do you switch companies regularly, or is it a waste of time? 08459 455 555. 08459 455 555. Hey, I get to play a new song. And do you know how I knew I was going to play a new song? Because all of the young people in the, the pop group that made this record, <laughs> I've just dated myself, kept Facebooking and tweeting me. Well done, Dem. Uh, it's a group called Sketched, a brand new five-piece band from Milton Keynes. This is their uh, track. It's called Trap. And uh, thanks to the BBC Introducing Show, we get to play it here. Uh, uh, Sketched and their song Trap, I like that. I would say it's a bit like a Christine McVie Fleetwood Mac song. There you go. That's not bad praise. Uh, it's not bad praise in the slightest coming from an old man like me. Thank you for that. You can hear more music from the three counties by tuning into BBC Introducing at 7pm on Friday nights with Gareth Lloyd. Now, here we go. You're so angry. Yeah, thanks. Uh, now, a woman from... Sorry, we've got to move on. I do apologise, Sketch. We have to move on. A woman from Buckinghamshire has found that there's a big demand for transgender jewellery. I'm wearing it now. It's very nice. A little bit big for my, my uh, feminine wrists, I would suggest. Sophie Garner started making bracelets when her friend, who cross-dresses, told her he couldn't get jewellery to fit him. It's a problem a lot of us have had. Now, in four months, her business has more than doubled, meaning she's thinking of taking on staff to help deal with the orders. Our reporter, Sophie Solaria, went to meet Sophie at her home in Whittlebury to take a look at her work. This range is is all made using a substance called acrylic, and each one of these is completely individual because of what happens during fabrication. This one here, glitter glitter and pink, you've literally got a UV uh, (laughs) Yeah, it's UV, and it creates its own light source, so it is completely illuminated, whether it's under light or not, but obviously in a nightclub or something, it just looks crazy. And some of my clients, they they call it the nightclub range. (laughs) Luminous orange. It's a luminous orange there, Sophie. How did you get involved with wanting to make men's jewellery? Because a friend of mine, who is a female impersonator, a very successful female impersonator, was struggling to find jewellery that fits. I wanted a range that was going to be bright and bubbly and outrageous. And I made him a cuff bracelet. And unfortunately, it was a little bit too small. And that's kind of where I thought, I really need to go into this and make made-to-measure. So are there not very many places that make men's jewellery or of women impersonators jewellery if you google you will really struggle to get anything in this country there are places that are making ranges in the usa but i really had to google to find anywhere and just having spoken to female impersonators particularly a couple of people in brighton that um, i'm making for and they've said that they either have to go into a specific shop in central london in berwick street or they have to order abroad so like singapore it's not a high street thing this is a niche market and it's hard to find in that respect 
How popular have you found this jewellery range to be? It's completely gone where I didn't think it would go. I just thought this would be a little sweet little thing. You know, friends come round, you want to buy a bangle. I'm doing craft fairs, I'm doing house parties. So now I'm stocking in two shops. There's a well-known shop in London that has just placed a wholesale order. Did did you ever think that making transgender jewellery would ever become this big? No. No, it's crazy. In an ideal world, I will start to do transgender parties. You know, that would be great, where somebody can actually come to a specific place, know that they're not going to be judged, that they can try on, because that they need to try them on, you know. Female wrists, pretty much six and a half inches, six inches. Men's wrists are so much bigger in the majority of cases, so they need to touch, feel, and and try on. So, no, I didn't expect any of this. And I notice here that everything you've got are bracelets. What about earrings for men? What about rings for men? Absolutely. Bigger fingers. So I'm going to be making matching rings. I'm going to be doing quite outrageous brooches (laughs) and necklaces, which I'm just making at the moment. I don't do small jewellery. I don't do trinkets. It's all about, I'm walking in the room, look at me, hello, don't ignore the cuff. And that's what this is all about. (laughs) Don't you dare ignore my cuff. How dare you? I've got two of the bracelets on now. If you want to have a look at them, facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR, uh, or if you follow uh, at BBC3CR on Twitter. I think I look rather hot. I'm sure you'll agree. This is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Lots coming up in the next hour of the show uh, that I know you will want to have your say on. So keep listening. If any of it grabs your fancy, I'll give out the contact details at the end of this little bit. So you can give us a call, a text or an email. Uh, I'm going to be meeting soon an engineer who says that mobile speed cameras in Buckinghamshire are unsafe and cause more collisions on our roads than they prevent. Do you think speed cameras make our roads safer? Hitchin councillors want the streetlights in the town switched back on between midnight and 6am. Should streetlights be left on in the early hours of the morning? And apparently, Luton is one of the worst places to live in the country. Do you think it's the worst place to live in the three counties? Find out why people in Luton are among the least happy in the UK. You can give us um, an email, 3cr at bbc.co.uk. You can send us a text, 81333, starting your text, 3CR. But the best way to get in touch, I think, is to give us a call. And we've got a couple of lines free now. If you want to get on the phones, 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Oh, you just heard me moving the microphone there. How unprofessional, how terribly unprofessional. Like you think you're going to get anything professional from this show. Now, mobile speed cameras are unsafe and cause more collisions on our roads than they prevent. That's according to an engineer from the Thames Valley area who studied road safety data. Dave Finney says that his research is the first of its kind in the world and contradicts the research the police currently uses. Uh, use. He joins me in the studio now. Morning, Dave. Uh, good morning. D- briefly describe, and in simple terms, because I am an idiot. I, do, I know, you're a, you're, a, you're a boffin, I'm an idiot. Just describe what your research says. Um... Right. Uh, Speed cameras, when they're um, evaluated by the authorities, they have a a method by which to evaluate all road safety interventions. They tend to compare the three years after the intervention started. So when the road camera's put in? Yeah, so the first three years of speed cameras, let's say, against a a three-year baseline period, the period they use to select the sites. Right. Uh, The problem with that um, comparison 
is that it includes the effects of the speed cameras, but also something called regression to the mean, and also... Let me stop you there, before you get to the third Regression to the mean, what on earth does that mean? It's the return back to normal from an unusual um, event, Okay, if you like. Um, Basically, they tend to choose sites that have got high numbers of crashes Mm -hmm. uh, to put the speed cameras at. Right. So, because they're unusually high, the numbers of crashes, they normally tend to go back to normal again. Okay. And this is called regression to the mean. It's, it simply means return to normal. Okay. And so, for the last 20 years, nobody in authority, um, the Department for Transport or any of the councils, has been able to measure the effect. They've estimated it to be the largest effect at speed camera sites um, when reductions in people are killed or seriously injured occur. Right. Uh, and it's larger, they've estimated, than all other effects added together. So that's how they get their information and their data. How do you get your data? Well, I asked the partnership for the database of crashes at Speed Camera Sites, and they um, sent me the database, so I was right. very happy about that. When I got the database, the first thing I did was to do the same thing they did, yep. compare three years before and three years after, and I got a 42% reduction in KSIs. That's killed or seriously injured. Okay. Um, But then what I did was I measured the amount of regression to the mean. Now, I've looked for measurements of regression to the mean in official reports, and I can't find any anywhere. I believe it's never been done before. Okay. So what I did was measure it. And um, what I found was there was a 51% reduction in KSIs due to regression to the mean. So what you're saying is... That <laughs> you're the cleverest man I've ever spoken to, and I'm trying to get, narrow this down because I am an idiot. You're saying, basically, that... Is it all speed cameras or just mobile speed cameras? Uh, well, I've done two reports. Right. This is, this is the second, and it looks at mobile speed cameras. So you're saying that mobile speed cameras make the roads less safe? I'm saying that the evidence suggests that the average number of crashes goes up. Right. The mean number of crashes yes. is, goes up after these speed cameras started operating in Thames Valley. Why do you think that's the case? Well, again, I, I, as an engineer, I want to look for evidence and not opinions. Um, when I look at the uh, contributing factors to accidents yep. that the police collect, I find that speeding's not that major a factor. It's um, when people are killed or seriously injured in crashes, yes. uh, the vast majority of times drivers are not speeding. In fact, in 94%, uh, 92% of cases, yep. drivers are not speeding. So speeding is a, not a minor factor, but it's certainly a lot less than we're told. And other factors, um, such as failure to notice other road users, um, are far greater factors. And speed cameras, it seems, can divert drivers' attention and mean that they notice other, dr- other road users less often. So they're dri- words- you're driving along, mm-hmm. you're going a bit fast, you see a speed cap, you're looking at the speed, bam, you hit somebody. It might not be that straightforward. Most crashes are not a single cause. Right. They're normally um, a number of things come together. Yeah. So somebody fails to notice another road user at the same time as the other road user uh, fails to notice them and pulls out in front of them. You've given this information to the police, I'm guessing. You've handed your documents over. Uh, Well, the police know that I've written the report, but I've tried speaking to the police before, and they've told me not to contact them. (laughs) (laughs) I'm bad, yeah. I'm and sorry, Mr. Finney, could you leave us alone, please? <laughs> That's effectively what they said. They, why? They, um, well, they wouldn't tell me, because I rang up to ask why they sent me an email, which I've got with me, um, which tells me not to contact them and that they won't give me any information. Uh, and the person on the phone um, said, once she knew who I was, she yeah. said, I'm sorry, I've had an email, we can't give you any further information. And I said, you haven't given me any information yet. 
And she said, well, that may be the case. There's nothing further to discuss. I shall now put the phone down. Dave, have you been hassling the police? You can't do that. That was the, <laughs> I think it was the only time I ever rang them. Um, but they'd all, the email says that they know that I've been looking into speed cameras. Right. And they don't want me to... They, well, they want me to stop. Suddenly, the, what, what was quite an interesting story is now becoming a, a whole conspiracy theory. Why, why are they trying to suppress the information? No, I wouldn't say they're trying to suppress it. I think somebody in, in the... I think it's one person in the police just got right. a bit angry with me. Yeah. With the whole like, suggestion that I was... Um, challenging their um, what they do yeah and the same thing happened with um, Slowborough Council where I live yeah and um, I tried to speak to them and, and they um, told their employees that they must not speak to me Dave, why are you you're winding all these people up? Don't do it, man. These, these are the best. I used to live in Slough. It's a fa- fantastic place. Why, what's your motivation into, into doing this research? Um, well, I'm an engineer. My whole family's engineers. Yep. Um, my father was a civil engineer. My grandfather was a mechanical engineer. Both my brothers qualified as engineers. I'm electronics. And um, I've, I'm interested in numbers and what they mean. Mm. So for me, um, some people will do crosswords. Yep. And they'll find out the answer that somebody else already knew. But with the database of crashes at speed camera sites, this was like a crossword for me, yep. except that the answer was something that nobody else had ever seen before. So I knew I'd be the first person to see it. And uh, I knew about this result from my report two years ago. Mm. Um, but I was trying to find um, evidence from other speed camera sites to find out if they were the same or whether Thames Valley was unusual. But I just wasn't able to get the data I needed. Um, I think most of the partnerships kind of shut down on me and wouldn't... All right, Dave, listen, stay there. We've got, joining us now is Richard Owen. Richard is the oh. former manager of... Is, is, have you fallen out with Richard as well? No, no. I okay, good. <laughs> I was worried for a second. Richard is the former manager of the Thames Valley Safer Road Partnership. No longer exists, but supplied the original data for this study. Richard, you, know, you worked for uh, independent company Road Safety Analysis, providing road safety data to local authorities. Is that right? Yes, that's right. We work with local authorities and police what, the country. What do you make of Dave's research well um it, it's not a surprise because i have read dave's reports previously and he does sound incredibly convincing unfortunately Uh-oh. unfortunately well yes you always knew he was going to come didn't you um unfortunately it's based on a series of um assumptions incorrect assumptions about how sites were um selected how data was used um during that site selection process and without getting too technical and bringing up regression to mean again and in entirely a false construct on how you calculate regression to mean. Can I just say, by the way, if there are any young people who are looking for a name for a band, <laughs> regression to mean, you can have that one, they, they, take it. So it's what, what has he got... It's got to be it? It's got to be. What has he got wrong then, Richard? Uh, uh, the list is reasonably uh, endless, Ouch. although, uh, yes. And uh, I've, I've managed to condense it down to two and a half pages. Uh, and no, I will be sending the response on to Mr Finney for him. Give, us, give us a couple of examples that he could respond to now. Yes, um... Okay. Um, the first one is that um, sites were uh, analysed based on the same site selection period. And I know this is a bit tricky at just gone seven in the morning. Okay, keep it but, simple. But, I'm an idiot. But he seems to... He is under the impression that the same period of time um, uh, used to do the analysis of whether the site has worked was the same one that was used um, to decide whether the site should be put in there in the first place, which is incorrect. And there's also an assumption that camp the uh, Richard, I'm going to stop you there because Dave, you, pu- you, you, you pulled a face. Then you, you, you're disagreeing with that, are you? No, no, I'm just wondering what it means. Uh, if you could say it again, Richard, I'd be quite happy. Oh God, uh, no, don't please. Oh no, because I, I would love to have this conversation with Dave in more detail. But I do feel for your poor listeners. <laughs> if, I give you, if, you, if I give you another more straightforward, give us example, a really straightforward one that my mum could understand. Um, there's also an assumption that cameras were all put in at places where there were high collision rates, which 
isn't true. The vast majority, I mean, two-thirds of all mobile cameras installed in um, Buckinghamshire, Oxfordshire and Berkshire were put in as a result of community with um, community concern requests. Richard, stop there, Dave. Give me the thumbs up. He can respond to that, Dave. Oh, I was hoping Richard would speak a bit more. Um, Richard is right. There was a wide range of criteria. Um, but what my report shows that when there was a 42% reduction in people killed or seriously injured at the sites, the entire reduction occurred a full year before the speed cameras s started operating. So the speed cameras cannot have caused that reduction because it'd have to travel back in time. So well, brought time travel into it. I'm, I'm hooked again now. I'm hooked. So, so, and the point about this is your listeners can decide for themselves yep. whether Richard's right or mine right because they can go to my website, which yep. is speedcamerareport.co.uk. Yep. They can click on mobile speed cameras. And it's written and in English. Uh, and it's written in English. Excellent. And you can look at the graph and you can see for yourself. Okay, chaps, you have to leave that. Give, give, give us the website one more time, uh, David, so people can go have a look. It's speedcamerareport.co.uk. Richard, sorry it was so short. Thank you very much for coming on. Okay. Nice to speak to you. It's Richard Owen there. Uh, and Dave, I, I enjoyed that. I understood about 8% of it, <laughs> but <laughs> that's, a, that's a joke for all you mathematicians out there. But I enjoyed it. Thank you very much for coming in. Uh, well, what do you think, dear listener? Uh, the speed cameras. Simple question. Do they make the roads safer? Yeah. So there we go. Little bit of science there, which is always good. Get your brain working first thing in the morning. If you understood it, do please write your answers on the back of a postcard and send it to me. Uh, regression to me, no. Cracking name for a band. Or if not a band, a second album. Uh, speed cameras, though. Do you think they make roads safer? Or more dangerous? 08459 455 555. Ian is in Luton. Morning, Ian. Good morning, what do, you, what do you make of all this? Um, the gentleman's quite right in what he says. Um, my ex-wife, bless her, used to work for the highways agency in the insurance department. Right. And, uh, when there was a fatal accident, or not necessarily fatal, that's not a serious accident, uh, the police would obviously do an investigation. And if they couldn't find a cause for the accident, which sometimes you can't because an accident is an accident. Yes. And there are many reasons why. Um, to keep the paperwork neat and tidy, can you guess what they put down? Go on. Speed. So they, they, they would just... Hang on, you're saying that they would fill in... Speed was the cause of accident just because it was something to put down. They had nothing else. Exactly. Okay, and the reason they do that is, is because it makes their life easy, insurance companies easy, everything's easy because they use that word speed. It's not speed that kills. I always say it's the sudden impact. Now, I'm being funny there, but... Well, it's, I wouldn't open with that one, Ian. It's not the best, it's not the best <laughs> in your repertoire, I would hope. No, 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 no but honestly, um, this is really annoys me. Um, it's so easy to, to just blame speed for an accident when... Yep. But do you, but the, the speed cameras specifically, Ian, do they cause accidents or do they make the road safer? Well, let's put it this way. I, I've been travelling along uh, a, dual, a single carriageway road at 40 mile an hour, which is the maximum speed for HGV, and then it'll drop down to 30, and there'll be someone come past me, see the 30 mile an hour speed limit, and then they'll just literally hit the anchors, and they're expecting me to stop. And you can't do that. You just can't stop. Mm. You're right. All right, Ian, listen, we've got to move on. Thank you very much for that. I should just say, very excitingly, Nick Coffer between uh, 12 and... Uh, what time is he on? 12 till 3? They gave him three hours? Fantastic. Uh, he finds out today about a folk competition dedicated to beds, hearts and bucks. Dog behaviour expert Beth Ring. She's going to answer your questions. If you want to... Um, 
uh, get in touch. I would email them now, nick at bbc.co.uk. And at two, Nick's talking Morrissey and the Smiths with Bedford music photographer Andy Wilshire and Smiths superfan and author Paul Slattery. The Smiths, a band I never got. Really, I never really got the Smiths. I like a couple of their songs and a couple of the Morrissey solo songs, but I never quite got them. But more people do. People love them. Nick Coffer, between 12 and 3 today. Across beds, hearts and bugs, this is BBC Three Counties Radio. Now, if you do shift work, you may welcome the streetlights being left on in the early hours of the morning. Or if you're tucked up in bed, you might think it's a waste of electricity if your road is all lit up. Well, a scheme which has seen streetlights switched off in Hitchin between midnight and six is being called an absolute fiasco by a local councillor. Judy Billing wants Hertfordshire County Council to reverse the blackout, saying there's been an increase in break-ins and people feeling frightened. It's so bad because um, it's induced fear um, amongst many of the people, and some of them you heard from there who don't feel safe to go out at night. It was done as a, as a one-off shock, as I said, with no consultation at all. Um, there has been an increase in break-ins in some of our darkest streets, and we've heard from young people from the Voice of Hitchin Youth that many young people are now really very wary about taking part-time jobs in the evenings in our local cafes and restaurants because of the problems of getting home. Well, it's not just Judy who feels like this. Ken is a paramedic for the East of England Ambulance Service. He says it's too dangerous that streetlights in places like Hitchin and Letchworth are switched off after midnight. The lights went off last year, so the council can make savings but now there's a campaign to reverse that decision which ken welcomes i work for the emergency services when i'm on nights it's very very difficult to find places when it's pitch black in the villages as well but yeah in the towns as well we find street lamps being out much of a hindrance we need to find them as soon as possible don't we so yeah. that's delaying you i get no fault of your own absolutely um oh, yeah we've got torches and stuff it's not always nice putting torches over people's houses in the middle of the night yeah. you know they think something else is going on it's scary it's a bit like a black hole you, you can definitely see the marked difference i mean how long do you think extra it's taking you to find these places than when the lights were on on average we know the roads nine times out of ten because we go to them but we don't know every now and again but we don't know the numbers and i reckon it's delaying us by two three to five minutes and you're coming across that on a daily basis as well uh, obviously on nights yeah. Yeah, yeah certainly early hours of the morning it's, it's, it's a nightmare especially with elderly people and um you know all we have to go on is lights being on in a house and hoping that's the one rather than get out and keep looking at the numbers. Well, Stuart Pyle is the Cabinet Member for Highways and Transport at Hertfordshire County Council. He joins me now. Morning, Stuart. Morning, Ian. Stuart, you heard Ken there. Two, three, five-minute delays on roads without streetlights for ambulance drivers and paramedics. Surely they need to come back on, don't they? Um, I don't think so, really. There was full consultation, of course, with uh, the emergency services before we even did this, and particularly with the police, because uh, all of us, of course, have the, uh, the safety of our residents as our prime concern. Five-minute delay, though, in, in, in a, an ambulance getting to someone's house. That could be life or death. Yeah, it could be, but I, there hasn't been any evidence shown about that at all. There certainly hasn't been any evidence of, of uh, crime rising. In fact, the police are now saying that probably uh, crime is actually falling. It has to be put to you that, that thankfully, crimes after midnight are very, very low. Um, and what we're saying here, of course, is that people should necessarily, of course, will have that initial fear of crime, and that's fully understandable, but that's not being translated into real crime or, indeed, more accidents. So you, you dismiss the, the uh, um, story there from Ken, the paramedic, who says that there could be five-minute delays in getting to someone's house? 
And that's right, because you what we have that. to say is that, that we did consult and we know that the, both the fire, the ambulance and the police services do indeed, as Ken said, carry night lighting equipment. And, and of course, most of our county is, is unlit and it always has been. Okay. Well, earlier on, we spoke to uh, Judy Billing uh, from North Hearts District Council. She's got this question for you. Have a listen. Why haven't you consulted with the people of Hitchin about the streetlights that they're provided with? It's their town. It's their council tax. Please talk to them. Why didn't you consult with the, the people? In fact, we did consult. Firstly, we consulted with the police and with other local authorities. But she's talking about the, the, the public. Yeah, indeed. But then we, we passed that consultation down to local councillors to consult with residents. So and they had quite a long time to do this. Uh, and so what they did consultation? And we, we listened to everybody and where there were fears, where there was a problem, where the police said there may be an accident or a rising Again, crime. Again, you're talking about the police, Stuart. I'm just wondering what, yeah. exactly what consultation there was with the public. I, I don't really see how you can consult with one 1.2 million people well, about this you when can we let have them know. to save so much money. Well, you can, well, you, you can do it quite easily, Councillor. How? Well, you can How would you say that we would consult with 1.2 okay. million people when we, we have to take very difficult do you, decisions? Do you, really need me to, do you really need me to answer that question for you? No. What I want to say to you is this. We have a <laughs> £200 million pound gap in our, right. in, our, in our finances, okay. and we have to break that gap. Okay, but you, you would understand that people are, are fearful, people are mm -hmm. upset, it's people's council tax that's paying for these services. Mm -hmm. Surely you should have at least put it to the public. But we did. We actually went out with every local paper, every local radio station, we sent letters to the press, we have consulted widely on this, and, and listened to what say? the residents have been saying since then. And what have there the residents said? There has been said? no actual rise in crime. In okay. fact, what did the, the residents say? are saying that we're contributing to a drop in okay. crime. What did the residents say? They said that they had a fear of crime. This is understandable. And you didn't listen they to that. They had a fear of accidents. This too is understandable. But I have to say, there is no okay. evidence, not just in Hertfordshire, but anywhere, okay. that finite lighting contributes to crime. So, it, so, it, 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 so far, you've dismissed the evidence of a paramedic, and you've I dismissed. I don't think that's really evidence. That's uh, one, one, one paramedic. Okay, you've dismissed the evidence of one paramedic, as I said, and you've dismissed the wishes of uh, the public. Hmm? Um, it seems a little bit arrogant on the part of the council, so. doesn't it? I, I, well, I, you think, I think I have to tell you that well over fifty percent now of local authorities have or are doing, indeed, done part night lighting. We have difficult mm -hmm. choices to make, and those choices mean that we have to do something about our energy bill, which is three point four million pounds a year and rising. We will save £1.3 million a year. That's 30% of an ever-growing energy bill. You will that save is one a very good saving. You will, uh, so, so when did these lights get turned off? They were turned off gradually from the middle of 2011. OK, so that's over a year. So you should have saved £1.3 million already, have you? Indeed, we, it ramps up over the year, of course, because they're not all switched over to, uh, to part-night lighting. So how much have you saved in the last 12 months? We think we've probably saved something about a million pounds. OK, and you, 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 can, you, you think you've saved about a million pounds? Yeah, because we're still in the process of finishing off the lighting, and of course right. our energy bills go backwards rather than forwards. Bucks and Milton Keynes have turned theirs back on, haven't they? Only in certain places, and only because they got it wrong. 
They actually got it wrong in Milton Keynes. They did not actually deal with all the problems of accident data in the way that we have done. Okay, how have you dealt with things differently from Milton Keynes? What we did was full consultation. We looked at all the accident statistics with the police, yep. with our own road safety people. And we don't forget, the lights are on in town centres. They're on right. where, there was a, where there was a difficulty in road junctions and roundabouts. And, and in some places where the police have asked us, we have turned lights back on. And we're quite willing to do that. But if the police ask you, but be, not if the public ask. If the public you ask, represent the, the public, though, Councillor. We would turn lights back you on, repre- we have done that. You represent the public. Indeed. But you're not acting on their wishes. We're not acting on the wishes of those people who are saying that there's more crime because there's no evidence to that. But it's not I have to tell you that not everybody's against this. There are quite a lot of positive oh, sure. messages here. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure you've you've looked at the positive messages. I'm Indeed. sure. But you are acting against the wishes of the people who not only just talking about crime, but they just want to feel safe in their streets and in their homes. That's a, that's a human right, isn't it? To feel safe. These people don't feel safe, and you're ignoring their wishes. Um, But where this has happened before, in many other local authorities, exactly the same pattern occurs. There's an initial rise in fear of crime, fully understandable, but it does not translate into real crime. But it's been a year. Streetlights are are not a statutory duty. We don't have to provide. You don't have to, but it's nice to make your your residents feel safe. It's been it's been happening for a year. It's also nice for local authorities to be able to pay their way, and that's what we're trying to do. What should the people of Hitchin do if they are unhappy about this, councillor? They should contact their local county councillor, and the what's going to happen then? And the police will look after, will look at those specific instances and where there are problems, and the police support it. We will put lights back on. Councillor Stuart Park, thank you very much. Yeah. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. What do you make of that? What do you do? You agree with the councillor? They saved a million pounds. He thinks in a year. That's got to be good, hasn't it? That's got to be good. Everyone's making cuts. A million quid. That'll do. Or do you think he was a little bit arrogant and a little bit uh, dismissive of people's wishes? Do you think the streetlight should be on or off? Simple question. That's the latest news and sport. More from me at eight o'clock. Catherine, that was a a cracking cup of tea earlier on. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Any chance of some toast? Right, now you're pushing it. Call 08459 455 555. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Coming up in the next half an hour, reporter Justin Dealey is going to be out with the mobile speed camera unit in Bedfordshire this morning to find out whether they do make people slow down. And also, you can hear why there are going to be fewer energy tariffs in the future. Streetlights being switched off. He seemed to think uh, that it was fine. A million pounds, he claims, they've saved in the last 12 months. That's got to be good, isn't it? How do you feel about it, though? If you live in Hitchin in particular, or an area where this has happened, do you feel safe? Uh, has crime gone up? 08459 555. Uh, Stephen Aylesbury has texted 81333, starting his text 3CR. It's outrageous the lights are being turned off. It, my idea, and he agrees with it, maybe keep every other one on. It makes me laugh when you go past the council offices, the lights are blaring away all night, but some of the streets are so dark and dangerous, many junctions now have no lights, and that's dangerous. Anyway, why don't we have solar lights? I forgot to ask about the solar lights. Oh! Even the pound shop sells them for a pound. It can't be that much. Thank you, Steve. And uh, Sue has emailed 3cr at bbc.co.uk. I love history. And I learned that when gaslighting came into being, 
The streets and the cities became safer. Yeah, they used to have a man whose job it was was to go round and light the light. He had like a big long stick with uh, a flame on it, and he'd light the lights. And then in the morning, it was someone's job to go round and dampen the lights and put them out. How cool is that? The streets were safer from mugging, Sue goes on, sexual offences and other crimes. If we're turning off streetlights, are we not going back in time just to save money? Even travelling uh, in the care is easier when the streets are lit. I don't know what that means. Surely the safety of people at night, and there are more night shift workers these days, is more important than a few quid. Thank you, Sue. Well, JVS will be discussing this on his big phone in this morning from nine. Today he's asking, is it right to turn street lights off at night? If you want to get in touch with him, you can email jvsshow at bbc.co.uk. Now, as you heard, we had a boffin earlier, earlier on telling us that mobile speed cameras are unsafe and cause more collisions on our roads than they prevent. Uh, Dave Finney says his research is the first of its kind in the world and contradicts the research that police currently use. Well, our road safety correspondent, Justin Dealey, is going to be out with a mobile camera unit from Bedfordshire. Justin, you're not there yet, though, are you? No, do you know what, Ian? I'm a different correspondent every single day, and I love it. You, you, you notice that? Good. I, I notice it, I'm just it, yes. reading them off your CV. <laughs> it's very Wonderful. Uh, I'm in Kempston this morning. I'm with Paul Turner and Gary Milson. They're from the Bedfordshire Casualty Reduction Partnership. Very soon, Ian, we are going to be live somewhere in Bedfordshire, seeing whether these mobile speed cameras have any effect whatsoever. Gary, first of all, good morning. Welcome to the programme. This van we're looking at right now, how often does that van go out on the streets of Bedfordshire every week? It's out every day, Monday to Friday. And do you have targets to meet as well? No, we don't have targets as in terms of people we catch. We have targets in terms of how many hours we do. And is there a leeway? So let's just say it's a 30-mile-an-hour zone, somebody's travelling at 32. Is, is there any leeway at all? Can you divulge that information? No, I'm not going to tell you the figures we use, but uh, it's set by the Association of Chief Police Officers in conjunction with our superiors. So we're told what speed to set, depending on the speed limit, and that's what we do. So there is a leeway, then? There is, yeah. OK, and uh, also going to bring Paul into the conversation. Paul, do you get abused when you do this job? Um, personally, I work in the office, so I don't get too much abuse, but the camera officers obviously do get abuse. Um, Why would anybody want to do this job? That's the key question for me. I mean, I got abused this morning about my hair. Don't look at me like that, by the way. <laughs> but uh, when you go out onto the roads, we know that people pull all sorts of signs at you. They shout at you. They seem to think that your vans are a cash cow. Why would anybody want to do this job? Um, we certainly do get loads of uh, signs pulled at us. Um, Basically, it helps us make, we make a difference to our local community. Um, a guy who I work with, he's got children. Obviously, no one wants to see their children get hot on the roads. Um, by being out there in a the camera van, we help reduce casualties and serious injury. So you feel like you're making a difference. Yeah. Um, Gary, we spoke to an engineer earlier on who said that these mobile vans that you go out in, day in, day out, he says they're unsafe. What would you say to that? No, I don't think they're unsafe at all. I think the main problem is people are not sure of the speed limit on the roads, and they panic. If, if they knew the speed limits, if they were observant, then, then whenever they see a camera, whether it's fixed or mobile, they wouldn't have cause to hit the brakes or, or whatever they do. But you must agree, though, I've seen this myself with, with mobile cameras, with, with the static ones as well. People, when they see them, they slow down, then they speed up. You often see people going into the back of other motorists because they see these cameras and they panic. But they do exactly the same thing with police cars. Mm. I mean, I'm sure you've been on the motorway and someone comes herring down the outside lane and sat in the middle lane is a traffic car. What do they do? They slow up, hit the brakes. You know, it's human nature. So where are we going today? We're going to give a little clue. Where, where do we hope we're going today? We're going to go and try and uh, enforce over near Ampt Hill. 
Um, if we can get parked, yeah. that's, that's one of the biggest problems. <laughs> because that's quite an interesting point. Some people may think that you just turn up and that's it, you're going to that spot, but if you can't get parked, you've got to go elsewhere. Yeah, we have to be flexible. We move on and find somewhere else. And you seriously enjoy this job? Um, to a degree, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> smiling. Guys, thanks for your time. Really appreciate it. So, very soon, Ian, we're going to be leaving here yes. at Kempston at the moment. We're going to be going with Gary and Paul from the Bedfordshire Casualty Reduction Partnership. We are going to be somewhere near Amptill with the mobile speed van. It's going to be very interesting for me because I've obviously seen these vans before parked at the side of the road. I've never actually been with anybody who's been inside the van. So it's going to be interesting to monitor motorist behaviour this morning live in Bedfordshire. Justin, how does it work? Do, do you, is there a, like a, one of those hairdryer things that they point at the road like uh, in, in American films? And are you going to get to hold the hairdryer? Oh, am I going to get to hold the hairdryer? That's the dream job for me. Guys, come back here a second. Um, in that van, the camera, tell us more about the camera. How exactly does that camera work? The camera is basically a laser rangefinder. A laser uh, rangefinder. Video camera and a DVD recorder. Wow. So once the, the unit's powered up, everything's being recorded onto a DVD. That's why you love this job. <laughs> Boys and their toys. Not, not the most interesting of DVDs. <laughs> um, and obviously the laser's there. We have to uh, estimate the speed of the vehicles approaching. Mm. If we believe they're exceeding the speed limit then we use the laser to, ch- to physically check their speed limit it also gives us a distance don't take this the wrong way can i touch your equipment later on i'm sure we can let you have a play there you go you're going to play with a laser rangefinder. I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm dead jealous. I genuinely am. Justin, listen, thank you very much for that. Uh, keep an eye out for what, what I think is unfairly being described as a bad haircut this morning. I, uh, poor, poor Justin. I mean, yes, it's wild and free, but that's the look of the young people these days. Justin's 47. That's irrelevant. Now, moving on, lots to cram in. Plans are on the way for energy companies to give us the cheapest price possible for our gas and electricity bills. Later on today, the government will give details about how it intends to force energy companies to offer each person the best deal for them. It comes just over a month after the Prime Minister made a surprise announcement promising to make companies offer their lowest tariffs. Well, Joe Malinowski is founder of the price comparison website, theenergyshop.com. He joins me now. Good morning, Joe. Good morning. I'm scratching my head. Is this a good idea? Uh, I'm really not convinced that it is. I think what is a good idea is um, simplifying tariffs, simplifying the structure of products, reducing complexity, all the things that the evidence has shown that the energy companies have created in a bid to try and confuse consumers and to try and prevent them switching. Do they, do they deliberately do this then, make it complicated? Well, I mean, if you looked at one supplier's product and found they had 15 versions of essentially the same tariff with different names, all there to to to, uh, to make it more confusing. Then yes, I think there's a there's a deliberate point. Nobody told an energy supplier it, they, in an annual statement where they had to make it clear to produce annual uh, kilowatt consumption, that something that's critical for a customer to understand their usage, that they should bury it in a small print on page 15. You know what I mean? You think mm. with a bit of sense, you stick that right up front to make it clear for the consumer. So yes, there have been deliberate ploys in this industry to, I think, restrain competition. And you need to work on breaking those down. Uh, But forcing people onto the cheapest deal, I mean, it sounds like a good ploy, but in essence it says, well, if competition isn't working, government's intervening. I mean, for example, if you decided that, you know, you knew your car insurance uh, when it came up for renewal, you didn't have to do anything about it because Mm. your car insurance provider was going to give you the best deal, 
you know, you'd kill the whole car insurance comparison mm. market and car insurance generally dead, wouldn't you? Yeah. Um, and, um, and I think what, what's happening here, instead of looking at the underlying causes, which to a degree re- uh, the regulator has been doing, and looking to break them down uh, or, or looking to adjust them, I think they've been doing it far, far too slowly. And I think what the, the government is now sort of saying, we need to speed this up, we're going to become quite radical. And I think maybe they are getting a bit too radical because... Can I, can I just say one thing? By the interpretation, yes. if everybody ends up being on the supplier's cheapest deal, yeah. it will mean that supplier will end up having effectively just one deal, which means that anybody who hasn't... Because no one's going to voluntarily go, hey, I'm on the cheapest deal. Could you put me on the second most expensive one, please? Well, I think what they're going to do is they're going to they're they're allow suppliers to have a range of offers, so it will, it will, it will allow them to put the, uh, a variable product, a fixed-price product, an environmental product, so you can say, yeah. give me your cheapest environmental deal, or give me your cheapest fixed deal, so they'll still have a range of pricing. But in essence, it means once you've switched to a supplier, you're going to say, well, what's the point of doing anything else after that if the supplier is supposed to guarantee, whether they do or not is going to be interesting, but it's supposed to guarantee me a cheaper price, in which case people will just stop engaging with competition altogether. I think I've seen... uh, Are you not just concerned about this? Because it means places like energyshop.com, you're going to be out of business, aren't you? If people aren't going to go onto comparison websites, then you're going to have to look for another job. Uh, well, actually, it's theenergyshop.com. Sorry to get the plug in. But you, no, you know, thank yeah, you. Well you're done. You're, no, you're absolutely right. Actually, but it's not just that. It's just that, um, I mean, people haven't been um, engaging with comparison sites in any case. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's one of the reasons why they're, trying to, why they're trying to do this. And instead of sort of saying, well, why are people not, um, uh, not, uh, 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 not engaging with uh, comparison sites? You know, there are regulatory issues. Suppliers get to tell us what to do, you know, according to these complex rules that we operate, which, which can ensure complete transparency for consumers, people are still not engaging in them, and I think you've got to address those issues. But if I can just say one other thing, one other thing that Ed Davies has been pushing very strongly is this idea of collective switching, mm. which is, you know, you get a group of people together to try and force a cheaper price. Well, if, if, cost, if, if energy suppliers are no longer going to be able to offer a, a cheaper deal uh, than they do to existing customers, for new customers. Well, collective switching is, is gone as well, isn't it? I mean, you can, you can, you can put a cross through that whole initiative um, uh, because people just won't even bother engaging collective switching because, of course, they're guaranteed to get a best deal anyway. Joe, listen, we have to end it there. Joe Malinowski, founder of the Price Comparison website. Let me get this right. Theenergyshop.com. Right. Luton has been rated as one of the least happy places to live in the country. It comes second from bottom in a list of more than 100 local authorities, and that's according to the New Economics Foundation. Salma Abdallah is from the New Economics Foundation, which has uh, got together all this information. Morning, Salma. Good morning, Ian. I have to ask, which, where, what came last? <laughs> who came last? You just want to know who you did a little bit yeah, better with. Yeah, I want to avoid it like the plague. Uh, well, the, um, the, part that, the part of the country that came bottom yeah. on our list... Yeah. Um, Go on. Check, I, I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, oh. um, of course, it's inner London itself. Yeah, so inner London. Stinky us. inner London. <laughs> now listen, how have you decided that Luton is such an unhappy place to live? Oh, we haven't decided. We've used data from the Office oh, of National Statistics. Oh, look at you uh, p- putting the responsibility on someone <laughs> else's shoulders. Well done. <laughs> We've used data from the Office of National Statistics, which has done the biggest survey um, in the world, actually, national survey of people's subjective well-being. So they've asked 160,000 people around the country. And people in reported, uh, sorry, repeat, people in Luton reported having lower levels of life satisfaction, happiness, anxi- and higher levels of anxiety than other parts of the country. Luton um, always seems to come bottom in, in, bottom in studies like this. D- does it, is it kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy that the, the negative publicity just generates misery? 
Well, that's an excuse you could use, I suppose. But um, it's interesting. I mean, actually, Luton doesn't do too badly in terms of misery. What Luton does badly in terms of... Is there a misery factor? ...high well-being. (laughs) Right. So only 20% of people in Luton really reported having high levels of well-being compared to about 25-26% in the country overall. So it suggests it's something sort of rather than sort of, you know, sort of being a suicide capital or something like that, it's, it's, a, it's a place where people are not achieving what, you know, what you could call flourishing, sort of achieving high levels of well-being across the board. Is there, there's it, lots of, it, sorry, Simon, is there, is there anything we can do to change this and reverse this trend? Well, it's interesting. I mean, looking across, looking at the map just before, just before I spoke to you, I, sort of, it's quite clear that actually a lot of cities that are around London seem to be doing pretty poorly in terms of well-being. So places like Luton, Reading, um, Thurrock, which is, of course, in, in, in Essex, these areas do seem to be having low well-being. And it, and it may well be things to, do with, um, things to do with sort of commuting, sort of, you know, populations which are sort of travelling to London to get to work. One of the things we know is that commuting is the thing that people hate most in their life. If you ask people how happy they are, um, doing all sorts of different things. The time when they when they report being least happy is when they're commuting, so that might be part of it. Um, but of course, there are things that can be done. I mean, there are parts of the country there are there are parts of the country which do a lot better than you would expect when you look at their sort of objective, mm. you know, sort of economic data, which suggests that there are certain factors to do with social capital, the built landscape, all these kind of things, which which um, which can be improved in different cities. Have you got any words of encouragement for the miserable residents of Luton today, Summer? <laughs> Um, well, um, other parts of uh, other parts of Bedfordshire and, and Hertfordshire and, uh, and Buckinghamshire do a lot better. So um, that you could look, you don't have to look too far to try and find. Um, Give us a place where everyone's a li- where things are a little bit better in, in beds, hearts, or bucks that they could move to. Exactly. Okay. Well, <laughs> no, I don't think I think I don't think it's as, as, as easy as that. I do think that it's important for the for, for Luton itself to look to to look forward. Okay, Simon. Listen, we have to end it there. Simon Abdullah from the New Economics Foundation. Well, what do you think? Is Luton the worst place to live in the three counties? Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. I'm keen to hear both sides of the story. Maybe you live in Luton and you love it. Can we come we, before nine o'clock this morning? Can we find someone who lives in Luton and thinks this is? Oh, you heard my, my slough voice come out. Luton, who lives in Luton and thinks it's the most wonderful place in the world, and that everybody who disses it is just an idiot. Can we find someone before nine o'clock? That's the mission. I want someone who is in love with Luton. If that's you, phone up and be proud of where you live. 08459 455 555. Dave's in Bedfordshire. Morning, David. Um, good morning. Do you love uh, Luton? Um, no, I don't. Oh. Um, um, I love where I live now. I moved, I li- moved away two months ago from Luton. Where, where, whereabouts have you moved to? Um, it's on the Bedfordshire-Buckinghamshire border. OK. Uh, do you, you're keeping it a bit secret because you don't want everyone to come out there. I totally understand. Why did you leave Luton? What was wrong with it? Well, it's, it's basically is the people. Um, it's a sort of lack of respect for uh, the people, the litter nuisance, um, uh, the the threats of violence, and um, the malicious damage that I had done to my to, to my flat in Luton. What, what happened to your flat, David? Um, I, all the windows were smashed. Every every window in the in the uh, flat was smashed, and also my car was vandalised. What? That's terrible. Why was that done? I, I really don't know. Is is because I've um, um, I'm very very immobile and I walk with a, a wheeled walking frame, and I seem to be taking advantage of me. Hang on a second, David. So you're saying because you've got a Zimmer frame or, or an equivalent? I don't think they yeah. call that anymore. Wheeled walking frame, as you said, and because yeah. you're you're a little bit immobile, people yeah. thought it was acceptable to smash up your car and smash all your windows. Well, this is what happened, and thank goodness. Um, uh, um, 100% marks uh, Luton Police, Luton Victims Support and Luton uh, Safer Partnership. They, 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 they stepped in and, and helped out, did they? 
Yes, correct. How did that feel, David? W- were you in the house when the windows were smashed? Yes. Oh, yes. dear. Yeah. In fact, it was my, um, it's ruined uh, my health mentally and physically. Um, so, um, where, 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 just, just talk me through what, what happened. What time of the day was it, and whereabouts were you in the um, flat? It was um, early evening during, during the uh, winter yeah. um, last year. So about um, six six o'clock, something like that. Five six o'clock. Uh, uh, about se- seven o'clock. Seven o'clock. And where, yeah. whereabouts were you in the flat? In the living room, the bedroom. In the, in the living room. And suddenly, yeah. these, just the windows all went out one by one. Yes, all, all the bricks went going through the window. How did that make you feel, David? Um, absolutely. Um, well, I, I um, had three days in hospital because I also suffer from um, a heart complaint. Well, that's having bricks um, through a window isn't going to help your heart, yeah. is it? And so I've never felt happier um, than when I left Luton. And uh, everything where I, where I, I live now. I can totally understand why you wanted to keep it keep it quiet. So your location and and you've been in this place what uh, for a year? Um, no, I'd lived lived there for nearly two years. Okay, and and everything is much better where you are now, and you're feeling a bit more secure. Yes, yes, yeah. I had to issue county court judgments and uh, uh, yeah, anti-social yeah. behaviour orders in Luton. Well, David, listen, I'm 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 sorry that happened. I, well, well, I can't. What, what an incredible story! But I'm glad you found seem to have found some peace where you are now, David. Well, David's not a fan of Luton. William has emailed in. Um, the beauty of Luton is that we have an ethnically diverse town. Enter many primary schools and see the model world society that has been created by Luton's mix of cultures. Nowhere could be a better advert for ethnic harmoni- uh, harmony and a view of the future of the planet. Um, I, but I'm not sure if this is the same email. I think it is. What is wrong in Luton is the white elephant guided bus route that is money down the drain. It's a waste of money in an age when we could have reopened a heritage rail route run by volunteers, costing us nothing. Also, the town council needs to create more heritage walks and encourage tourism. We have a proud history in the hat industry. Why don't we celebrate it? Thank you very much for that, William. Get in touch. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Yes, that was one big uh, email. Thank you. Uh, do let us know your thoughts. I, I, I want someone who loves Luton before we we end this show at nine o'clock. Also, this morning, streetlights. We've been uh, speaking about uh, in Hitchin and a couple of other areas. They are being switched off to save money. Uh, but uh, local residents are they don't feel safe. Paul's in Hemel. Morning, Paul. Morning. D- d- w- what's the situation with streetlights where you live? Well, I live in, uh, in Woodall Farm in Hemel. Yeah. Basically, 12 o'clock midnight, the lights all get switched out. We live on a little cul-de-sac. We've only been there six months or so. Three days after I moved in, while me, my, my wife, and my young baby, she was only uh, just just 18 months nearly then, yeah. we were all in the house. Three days after we moved in, we were burgled. Um, it was at 2.45 in the morning, and I know this because... Our next-door neighbours, or one of our next-door neighbours, has got CCTV cameras on their house. Right. Um, and we, everyone had a look at the CCTV, including the police, and the only reason why they couldn't find the faces, they could see the shadows, was because the streetlights were out. Oh, dear. Now, uh, since the six months we've been there, we've had, I think it was two or three other houses have been broken into. Yeah. And, um, and we've had a couple of cars vandalised and broken into. And it's always been when the streetlights go out. So have you spoken to the council, Paul, about getting the yeah, streetlights turned back we've, on? we've spoken. We've had <laughs> all credit to the council. We've had newsletters from her, and she's, you know, asking Ooh, for our opinions. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, they're, they're asking, they have been asking for our opinions on it, you know, and everyone, everyone's saying that it's not good. But are they, listening, good. are they listening to you? It's, good, it's well, good, well and good sending out newsletters and asking for opinions. Are they listening and acting on that? Uh, at the moment, no. 
At the moment, no. There's been no change. The lights are still going out at 12 o'clock. I'm also a mobile fit, uh, tire fitter. Right. I'm out 24 hours, you know. I, I could be in bed. I've got to get up 2 o'clock in the morning and go. Yeah. And it's pitch black outside. Um, I've got my, my, my little one. She's... She, um, my my wife, whenever if she goes out of an evening or anything, and she goes to visit friends, and if she comes home late at night, I'm worried about her. Mm. She's got to then come in into the uh, uh, problem sack. And you can't feel black. good. You can't feel good, Paul, as, as a dad going out at two o'clock in the morning, knowing there's a chance that a burglary might take place while your missus no, and your well, baby that, are in the house on their own. No, that's why. As soon you know, as soon as it did happen, I mean, on my case, we've put it down to chances. They watched us move in, yeah, and and they've they've seen that you know. But the fact that we were in the house. And it was my my wife and my little one was in the house as well. It's it's not good. Then. It's not good in the support. I've got to end it there because we're running out of time. Thank you for that. What amazing stories in the last ten minutes. Incredible. I can't get over those last couple of calls that we had. Incredible stories. Wow. Okay. I'm looking for someone before nine o'clock who will fade up and say, Ian, I love Luton. Can we get that call up? This is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. It's Tuesday, it's just gone eight o'clock. And lots coming up in the last hour of the show before JVS takes over at nine o'clock, including a Thames Valley engineer says mobile speed cameras are unsafe and cause more collisions on our roads than they prevent. Do you think speed cameras make our roads safer? Should streetlights be left on in the early hours of the morning? A councillor is angry that they've been turned off between midnight and 6am in Hitchin. And find out why a Buckinghamshire woman has discovered there's a big demand for transgender jewellery. I'm wearing some if you want to see what it looks like. Facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. I'm not so mad on the mauve one, but the red sparkly one is fantastic. BBC Three Counties Radio. Now, mobile speed cameras are unsafe and cause more collisions on our roads than they prevent. That's according to an engineer from the Thames Valley area who studied road safety data. Dave Finney says that his research is the first of its kind in the world and contradicts the research that police currently use. The evidence suggests that the average number of crashes goes up. Right. The mean number of crashes, yes. that is, goes up after these speed cameras started operating in Thames Valley. Why do you think that's the case? Again, I, as an engineer, I want to look for evidence and not opinions. Um, when I look at the uh, contributing factors to accidents yep. that the police collect, I find that speeding's not that major a factor. It's when people are killed or seriously injured in crashes. Yes. Uh, the vast majority of times, drivers are not speeding. In fact, in 94%, uh, 92% of cases, yep. drivers are not speeding. So speeding is a, not a minor factor, but it's certainly a lot less than we're told. And other factors, um, such as failure to notice other road users, um, are far greater factors. And speed cameras, it seems, can divert drivers' attention and mean that they notice other drivers other road users less often. Well, joining us now is Jim Lingwood. Jim, Jim was so fed up with cars speeding on his road, he did what? You made your own camera, Jim. <laughs> yeah, I did, Ian. What, wh- why? <laughs> well, basically, the stretch of road that I'm on is an unrestricted. It's a 60 miles an hour road. And right. The road itself, in my opinion, um, really what doesn't warrant traffic. In fact, the majority of traffic doesn't do 60. The majority do poodle along, look at the golf course and look at bits and pieces the distractions that I would say away from the road. Yeah. Um, but there are occasional drivers who abuse 
the roads. I mean, not, the, not saying the white man, white van man is is the only one, but the white van man, the delivery man, has to get from A to B uh, in in a hurry. And a lot of people were overtaking. I've got an over. There's an overtaking in a dip just outside where I live. Right. And so people were actually those that were going along less than say forty or fifty miles an hour were being overtaken by people in excess of that. Of course, yeah. To get past. Uh, um, basically disregarding the no overtaking and I thought well if I put a speed camera up it's just a a ply box on a post oh so it's not a real speed camera it's not a real speed camera it's it's basically a box a square box painted yellow with a jam jar Oh. Lens. <laughs> <laughs> the old, isn't that a British thing? Yes, it's a yellow box with a jam jar in. Yes, well done. I, ha- I have had a chap down the road in another little village who came along and copied my idea wow. and uses it in his 30 mile an hour. But anyway, the, the point is that I put this up and people were actually slowing down, observing the fact that this yellow box um, might or might not have been uh, checking. Even people, residents, local residents that knew it would still slow down. Um, the, the problem is, when suddenly it up jump, like jumps out at you, people suddenly realise, yeah. oh no, how fast am I going? They slam the brakes on. And they do put the brakes on quick. The majority tend to apply the brakes you know, slowly just to, just to, to ease down. Um, the dip, like I said, the dilemma is when suddenly somebody who doesn't know suddenly catches it and oops. Jim, how long has this, this jam jar box been up there? Well, it's actually not there now. Right, I was going to say. It's there some time. I, mean, I had it actually in operation probably for 18 months to two years. Yeah. And it worked really well. In fact, it worked too well, but because of my campaign to slow the traffic down, in fact, I've applied through the local authorities and highways to see if I could get a reduction. And their answer to me is statistically, it isn't a dangerous road. There hasn't been enough people killed. And that word enough really well, puts the... Well, how many people have been killed there, Jim? There have been people along the stretch of road killed in the past. Any yeah. number, how many? Two. Two. And, and two's not enough? And two's not enough. Uh, One is too many, in my opinion. Of course. Um, the thing is, minor incidents and accidents don't actually get reported to the police and they right. don't actually count in the statistics. However, like I said, I, I took the box down because I felt that it was acting too well and possibly... Um, changing the statistics that might have otherwise had... Did the council or the police come and knock on your door at any point and say... Yeah, the traffic police did actually knock one of the first... Literally within the first week of it being put up. Yeah. I had a traffic officer come round and said uh, a chap nearly had an accident. He saw the box, braked hard, lost control of the car, and luckily enough managed to not actually have an accident. He said the downside to this is um, you could have been prosecuted if he would take you to court because it was something that caused, if somebody could have proved that. However, he says it's not illegal for you to put something up on your own property to do something like that. Is it not? No, he thinks it was great, because ultimately their their policy at that time was to get traffic to, you know, comply with the speed Jim, if the fellow was going so fast that he couldn't apply the brakes yeah. safely, then it, pff, that's his problem, exactly isn't it? That's what I said, and, I, you know, <clears throat> I had a cough from the policeman. <laughs> but the thing is, I mean, ultimately, yeah. every everywhere where you drive, you, you sensibly should drive to the sensible speed limit, if you like. I mean, I, I don't do 60 on a road where it's unrestricted yeah. if I feel that I can't safely drive at 60. But people don't, do they? And we've, we've seen, you see it on the motorways, you see it on these narrow country lanes, people will go as fast as they can, and <laughs> then some, because they're in such a rush to get to their meeting That's or get to their lunch or whatever. Exactly, Ian, more often than not, it's when we say speed is the dilemma, it's it's the time that people allow to get to places, and ultimately, speed is the only way to obtain that. Listen, I'll be honest. I used to be a little bit of a naughty driver. I had a lot of points on my licence, and mm. then I got kids, mm. and I thought, do you know what? I'd rather be late than be dead. Really. Do you know what? I've actually timed myself on an odd occasion 
to see how fast I can get, you know, what, what time difference is. Yeah. To be honest, sticking to the speed limits and the difference between doing that and doing a lot more is couple of three minutes well you know your life is worth more than two or three minutes isn't it jim listen uh, thanks very much for the chat very interesting no problem there we go jim lingwood who, who for a while had his own speed camera set up yellow box with a jam jar in <laughs> it's, it's tempting isn't it it's tempting well our reporter justin Dealey uh, is out and about justin have you arrived at your top secret destination yet i have Ian. Okay, well we done. are in bedfordshire i can tell you that much we are near Amptill, so there is a clue for you okay. i'm with uh, gary milson who's from the bedfordshire casualty reduction partnership not giving too much away about this location but but why have you chosen this location in particular this is what's called a site of community concern. So basically, uh, local residents, or in fact the business here, Lockheed Northrop, have indicated to the authorities that they are concerned about the speeds through here. Obviously, it's an entrance into a busy factory unit. We have residential houses as well. So it's a 40 mile an hour limit, but they have concerns about people speeding. So we've been asked to come here and basically try and slow people down. I think you've just given away our location. <laughs> That's fine, it's not a problem. Because you do do that, don't you? You actually warn motorists where you're going to be. This is not top secret. No, not at all, no. Um, it used to be put out on the website regularly where we were going. We don't hide the vehicles, they're highly visible. We just park up in plain sight. We have to, that's the regulations. And hopefully people will slow down. If they don't, they get caught. I mean, it's quite fascinating watching this because already you've been here for about five minutes. People are slowing down and then speeding up again, aren't they? Yeah, that's human nature. Obviously, they will, as soon as they see the van, they will tend to ease off. Um, once they're past the van, then they think, OK, fair enough, we're in a hurry, then they put the boot down. There's not a lot you can do about that. Come on, don't we need more police on our roads and not more vans? It would be very nice, yes, but obviously budgetary limitations mean that we do what we can with the money we've got. Does it make you feel good when you get somebody? And uh, be brutally honest about this. Um, yes, sometimes. The other day I caught someone doing 89 and a 50. There could be absolutely no excuse for doing 89 and a 50. So, I mean, presumably he was also slowing down. Um, so, yeah, it's nice to catch people who are who are really basically flaunting the speed limit. Yeah, well, that's outrageous. Well, what about yourself, putting you on the spot here? Have you got a clean licence yourself? So far, yes, fortunately. <laughs> Imagine if you had nine points in your licence, that would be a story in itself. So, have you got any sympathy for anybody who breaks the speed limit? Because this road, it's a 60 mile an hour road. If they're doing 65 miles an hour, they are breaking the speed limit. They could be late for work, they've got things on their mind. Have you got any sympathy for anybody who breaks the speed limit in Bedfordshire? You sometimes feel a little bit sorry for people who are just over the limit, especially if they're new to the area, they don't know the roads. But having said that, if you're driving somewhere you've never been before, it's incumbent upon you to check the speed limit. There's plenty of signs, you know, read the highway code, understand what indicates the speed limit and follow it. It's basically people who don't pay attention that unfortunately get caught. So the man in the van, i.e. you, you have got feelings as well. You're not just a tough guy. Oh, no, no, not at all. <laughs> Thank you very much indeed for your time. We'll come back to Gary after 8.30. That's Gary Milton, Ian. He's from the Bedfordshire Casualty Reduction Partnership. We are parked up in Bedfordshire. Uh, we spoke to that engineer earlier on this morning. He says that these mobile speed cameras are unsafe. Well, we're about to put that to the test this morning live on BBC Three Counties Radio. Just it's interesting what your, your, your chap there said, that they see the camera, they slow down, then they mm. speed up again straight after. So that means 
they don't work, do they? It means that that hundred yards of road, stretch of road, is going to be safe because everyone's, you know, doing 40 or whatever it is. But either side of that, they're going as fast as they want. Well, you see it all the time, whether it's a mobile speed camera, uh, whether it's a static speed camera. In my view, has always been that these mobile vans, well, they pick up speeding. Mm. They don't pick up bad driving. Mm. Bad driving, I would have thought, causes accidents. Very, very lucky for you, Justin. So I'm afraid you got away with that one. Good work there, Justin Daly. More from him a little bit later on. I'm finding it's fascinating about the speed cameras. Right, let's get the travel news now. Let's just say I was a little bit trigger happy with the travel news. I think if I count to three and click my fingers, we may be able to do it. Shall we try? One, two, three. Sophie Tyler, are you there? Sophie Tyler, are you there? Hello, I'm Mary here. Sophie Tyler. Well, I'm afraid. Away you go. Sophie Tyler, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you very much, Sophie. Before I do the headlines, uh, we've just got a breaking news flash uh, coming into the studio here. Jonathan Erdman-Smith has locked his BlackBerry. He needs to press the mute button to unlock it. Is that correct, Jonathan? I don't know which one's the mute button. If anybody knows what is the mute button on a BlackBerry mobile phone, could you give us a call now? 08459 555 555. Ah, dearie me. Well, Jonathan Erdman-Smith is in the studio looking like a, a, a well a, the muppet that he sometimes is now that's a bit wicked <laughs> very un- you, uncalled for you've come in all, all a fluster because you've locked your blackberry mobile phone device and you have to press the mute button to unlock it you don't know what that is i don't know what the mute button how is. did you lock it well i seem to have somehow lost my little wallet for it so i didn't want to be dialing anyone from my pocket so i locked it. i was able to do that but now it says i've got to press my mute button to unlock it. i don't know what the mute button sometimes is. you look like a posh 15 year old boy he's all, <laughs> exci- all, all excited <laughs> and eager uh, well caroline is in bedford good morning caroline good morning you you can help jonathan vernon smith can you oh what has he done well, hang on what are you, are you calling from a cardboard box or something <laughs> oh do i sound like i'm in a box is your mouth anywhere near the phone yes okay we can hear you a bit better go on so he's you speak to Jonathan, go on, Caroline. Oh, Jonathan, now the, the mute button is, is the button that's got. Have you got a dollar sign a, on the bottom right hand corner? A, a bottom right hand corner. Right-hand corner of your keypad. Keypad. No. Right. Go along your letters. How long is this going to take? This is my show, by the way. I don't have a dollar sign. What letters next to M on your keyboard? N. Oh yes, there's a dollar sign. I don't have a dollar sign. Oh, is there a little red thing above it? No. Like like a speaker. No, no, it's not red, it's it's grey. But it's there, is it? Yes. Press that and see what happens. Hang on a minute, hang on, let me try. So uh, what do I do, just press it and hold or...? Press it. You're listening to UFC Three Counties, the first for news. It's done absolutely nothing. Press it and hold it then. I pressed it and held it. He's He's holding it now. It's done nothing. Right. Well, in that case, now try pressing the button oh, that for... you would turn it on and off with. Oh, for goodness sake. Caroline, you're literally just guessing she wanted no, to no, speak no, to Jonathan. Phone him at nine o'clock if you just want to speak to him about <laughs> nothing <laughs> in particular. Tell him to ring me when he's finished. Oh, oh yeah. Well, well he can't ring you. His phone's, <laughs> his phone's locked, Caroline. <laughs> Absolutely useless. <laughs> Absolutely useless. Well, thanks for uh, trying to exhaust your <laughs> listeners' intelligence <laughs> and help me this morning. <laughs> 
What are you talking about on your show this morning? Well, I've been fascinated in your discussion you're having this morning about streetlights. Oh, yeah. Because I live in a part of Hertfordshire. We were plunged into darkness some months ago. Plunged <laughs> Yeah, we darkness. were, literally. It's, uh, when you... I love it. I absolutely love it. Because I have, for many years, I've been campaigning on this radio station to turn the streetlights off. Yes. Can't stand it. And I love it. If I go out in London... You wouldn't if you, you, wouldn't if you were burgled, though. Why am I going to be burgled? Burglars can't find your back door. It's too dark. I love it when I come back from London <laughs> and you, you come back very late at night and you drive, you drive into, into leafy Hertfordshire, pitch black. I love it. <laughs> what's, what's so funny? Why are you laughing? <laughs> what's... <laughs> <laughs> oh, you do make me chuckle. Go on, go on, carry I on. I do. So, coming up from nine this morning, I understand that people are hitching aren't very happy no, about it. but you are. I love it. Coming up at nine, is it right to turn the streetlights off at night? I'd like to hear your view. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Perhaps you're saying, my dad, oh my word, he's on his high horse. <laughs> it's ridiculous. I'm going to phone St Albans Council, he said. I said, well, I don't think it's St Albans Council who made the decision, Dad. I said, and surely it's a good way to save money. <laughs> no, it's not. It's ridiculous. All these poor people in Harpenden. Just do it. Just do the things. I'm doing impressions of your dad. <laughs> Plunged into darkness. Well, from nine, I want to know, do you agree with my dad or me? Is it right to turn the streetlights off at night? Are you all right? Yes. I like your bangles. These are the transgender bangles. We've got a, a, a tweet from uh, Scott Balcony. Yeah. Why does JVS always just do your topics again? Lazy. <laughs> Now, stay there, because J- J- Jean is in Aylesbury. Morning, Jean. Good morning. Can you help this Muppet, please? <laughs> I'll try. He's locked his phone and he can't unlock it. Can't oh, phone anyone. I don't know if different Blackberries are different, but with my Blackberry, you press the green telephone key... Right. ...and I'm... the A button at, th- at the same time. The green telephone key and A button? And no. the A button. The A button. No, nothing yeah. at all. Nothing. No, <laughs> so another useless suggestion, Jean. <laughs> Don't get stoppy with my so, listeners. For any sake. You'll get some be rude to your callers. Don't be rude to mine, Jean. I'm so thank you so much for your efforts. You're welcome. It's a, how rude. Thanks, Jean. This is the for nothing. <laughs> go away. So a, you've not solved my problem. No, I've not. Oh, in fact, not a good you are. Yeah, thank you. Well, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> so rude. Listen, if you're going to come in and do a trail for your show, which is basically just saying look, your show was so good, Ian, we're going to carry on doing your show for an hour, which is what he's done. Don't then be rude to my listeners. For goodness sakes. Well, Jonathan's talking about street lighting, uh, And we're talking about street lighting as well. The scheme has, uh, which has seen street lights switched off in Hitchin between midnight and six has been called an absolute fiasco by a local councillor. Judy Billing is now calling on Hertfordshire County Council to reverse the blackout. The air has been plunged into darkness, saying there's been an increase in break-ins and people are feeling frightened. This is what Judy Billing had to say on the show earlier. It's so bad because um, it's induced fear um, amongst many of the people, and some of them you heard from there who don't feel safe to go out at night. It was done as a, as a one-off shock, as I said, with no consultation at all. Um, there has been an increase in break-ins in some of our darkest streets. And we've heard from young people from the Voice of Hitchin Youth that many young people are now really very wary about taking part-time jobs in the evenings in our local cafes and restaurants because of the problems of getting home. 
Constable Stuart Pyle is the Cabinet Member for Highways and Transport at Hertfordshire County Council. Earlier on the show, I asked him why local people felt they hadn't been consulted. We passed that consultation down to local councillors to consult with residents, so, and they had quite a long time to do this. Uh, and so what they consultation? Did consult and we, we listened to everybody and where there were fears, where there was a problem, where the police said there may be an accident or a rising Again, crime. Again, you're talking about the police, Stuart. I'm just wondering what, yeah. exactly what consultation there was with the public. I don't really see how you can consult with 1.2 million people well, about this you when can we let have them know. to save so much money. Well, you can, well, you, you can do it quite easily, Councillor. How? Well, you can How would you say that we would consult with 1.2 okay. billion people when we do. have to take very difficult do you, decisions? Do you, really need me to, do you really need me to answer that question for you? No. What I want to say to you is this. We have a Did £200 million pound gap in our, right. in our, in our finances, okay. and we have to break that gap. Okay, but you, you would understand that people are, are fearful, people are mm-hmm. upset, it's people's council tax that's paying for these services. Mm-hmm. Surely you should have at least put it to the public. But we did. We actually went out with every local paper, every local radio station. We sent letters to the press. We have consulted widely on this. And what and did the public to what say? what the residents have been saying since then. And what have there the residents said? There has been said? no actual rise in crime. In okay. fact, what did the, the residents police are say? saying that we're contributing to a drop in okay. crime. What did the residents say? They said that they had a fear of crime. This is understandable. And you didn't listen to they that. They had a fear of accidents. This too is understandable. But I have to say, there is no okay. evidence, not just in Hertfordshire, but anywhere, okay. that finite lighting contributes to crime. That was Stuart Pyle earlier on in the show. Well, Harry Ruffle is from Voice of Hitchin Youth. They want the lights turned back on. Good morning, Harry. Hello, Ian. You heard Stuart there saying that the, the, the consultation process was quite widespread. How adequate do you feel it was? Um, well, all I would say is that clearly there was no consultation done with young people at all. Um, us as young people had didn't have our voices heard um, on the issue. Why are you so keen to get the lights back on? Um, so what we feel as a group, the voice of Hitchin Youth, is that, I mean, firstly, the, the lights being turned off is a danger to anyone, uh, not just young people, but as you know, that's, that's been highlighted on your show already by others. Um, but for young people in particular, as Judy Billing has mentioned, um, young people are reluctant to uh, take jobs in the town centre in Hitchin, for example, or the ones who have jobs are worried in uh, working as waiters, for example. They're finishing late. By the time they come home, midnight to one o'clock, all the lights are turned off, and this is a massive concern for young people. But Harry, Um, Stuart Stuart Pyle says that there is no increase in crime. If anything, crime is going down. Well... You, yeah, you, you could, uh, I mean, that's probably from from one point of view that the crime hasn't gone down, but from another perspective, there's there's the perception, and if people are worried, do the councillors not have a right to, um, you know, to represent the the people of Hitchin? If, if they feel concerned, if they feel as vulnerable as the people I've been speaking to, I think really it is their, um, their, their duty to turn it on. It's uh, the Cabinet member, uh, Stuart, earlier he said, if I, if I heard correctly, that it's, it's not our statutory right to to turn the streetlights on but actually i would i would argue that it is a duty for them to turn them on because that is clearly what the people they are representing want he's actually uh, he, he claims Stuart claims that they have saved in the last year about a million pounds that's quite a lot of money isn't it whenever we, cuts have to be made yeah yeah i mean that is a significant amount of money um and it is probably correct that they do need to cut their budgets but at the same time there are surely alternatives to turning off the lights in massive areas um of the county for example i know many have mentioned the idea of um turning on alternate street lights surely that would still save a large amount of money but at the same time it would give more security to um people who are 
walking on the streets later at night. Harry, you did a survey, didn't you, on street lighting last year. What did you find out? Yeah, so um, w- as, as the voice of Hitchin News, we looked into uh, dark alleys in Hitchin and dark alleys where people felt vulnerable. Um, and we found in particular there were certain areas where people did feel unsafe. For example, uh, around Hitchin Girls School, um, there's, there's not much lighting there um, in the alleys at all. And people feel worried there walking home from school during the winter. Um, a lot of underpasses in Hitchin. There's one on St. Michael's Road, for example, with young people walking home from school where the lighting is, is non-existent or or um, very poor, um, and we were going to go forward with, with proposals to put just a small amount of lighting there. We were um, going to take it to the, to the local council, but unfortunately this, this new proposal and the policy that's come in place sort of superseded that, and we, we did have to just drop it. Harry Ruffle from The Voice of Hitching Youth, thank you very much. What do you think, dear listener? Should streetlights be turned off? 08459 455 555. And JVS is going to be discussing this on uh, his phone in today. He's asking, is it right to turn streetlights off at night? And you can get in touch with him now by emailing jvsshow at bbc.co.uk. On the subject of Jonathan Vernon Smith's phone that he's locked, Jomo on Twitter has said, tell JVS to press the button on the very top of the phone. Look carefully. Hashtag Muppet. Oh, well, that's that's just rude, isn't it? Hashtag Muppet. Text 8132. Start your message with 3CR. Text charged at the standard network rate. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Morning, Ian Lee. 8.32, here until 9 o'clock, and uh, then Jonathan Vernon-Smith takes over. Coming up in the last half an hour of the show, uh, our reporter Justin Dealey is out with a mobile speed camera unit in Bedfordshire this morning to find out whether speed cameras do actually make people slow down. And a Buckinghamshire... You try saying that with new teeth. A Buckinghamshire woman's making a business out of selling transsexual jewellery. Find out why it's proved to be so successful in about 15 minutes' time. Now, plans are on the way for energy companies to give us the cheapest price possible for our gas and electricity bills. Later on today, the government will give details about how it intends to force energy companies to offer each person the best deal for them. It comes just over a month after the Prime Minister made a surprise announcement promising to make companies offer their lowest tariffs. We're joined now by our business reporter, Sean Farrington. Morning, Sean. Morning, Ian. What what are we going to hear today? Well, we're going to hear from the Energy Secretary, Ed Davey, a bit later, and he'll give a few more details details about that Prime Minister's promise that came out last month. And the whole idea of it really is to reduce the confusion of all the tariffs out there. They want to limit the number of tariffs each energy company can offer for gas and electricity to four each. So you'll get things like a fixed price for a fixed term, that'll be that, a standard variable rate, one that depends on your payment method, direct debit or cheque, and another one that depends on whether you want to use green energy or not. Once they've looked at all those tariffs, they then have to put you on the lowest suitable tariff for you. The headlines make it sound like it's good news for the customer, but but is it really? Well, it certainly makes things a bit less confusing. I mean, I don't know, whenever, whenever I've been on one of those comparison sites and you get all the, the funky names for all the different tariffs out there, uh, the, a big list drops down with what seemingly hundreds of options, it gets a bit confusing. The idea is that if you've got a bit more control over and a bit more knowledge about what tariffs you're being offered, then... Once that understanding of the bill comes through, you may be more inclined to change to another company at a later date. At the minute, half of us never switch at the moment. Three quarters of us find our bills very confusing. This is all to try and give us a bit more confidence that we're actually getting the best deal out there. 
I've got no idea what my bill means. It comes through and I'm, I look at it and think, right, I'm going to study it this time. And then I go, oh, I'll just pay it, whatever. Does it mean that, we, Sean, that we're going to see bills go down? Well, that is that, that will not be a promise that will be made. Right. Mainly, <laughs> okay, thought un, not. Un, unsurprisingly, but mainly because in the last month or two, we've seen we've seen energy bills go up by 7 8 9%, depending on who you're with. And those energy companies say that's not going to stop particularly any time soon because their costs are going up is the reason they give. Now, all this will do, this new system, will at least give you the confidence that you've got the best tariff out there on your bill, which at the minute, I don't know, would you know that you're on the lowest tariff possible? I, I wouldn't have a clue. I changed about six months ago, mainly because I hated the company I was with for personal reasons, and I think I'm saving money, but I, th- my bills are still massive. Do you, do you know if you've saved any money at all compared to th- before well, the, you changed? The price comparison website said I'd save about 100 quid a year, but I, I, I've not noticed it. Well, a- again, that's, I guess that's a part of the confusion, isn't it? You need to track it for a whole year yep. r- r- and have a think, well, would you have used that same amount of energy a year on? It's, it's all very confusing, and these steps are trying to make it clear. Do you want a fixed term? Do you want a standard variable? Do you want green energy? And those are only the things you, you should need to take into account. Sean, you're the business reporter. Do you understand your gas and electricity bills? I do, but it takes me a very long time to figure it out, uh, which sometimes you wonder if it is worthwhile when you're paying a certain amount of money for the first thousand watts that yep. you use, and then it, it gets very complicated. So please don't everybody start sending me a bill, <laughs> because I have not got that much time. Dear Sean Farrington, please explain this to me. Thank you very much. That's our business reporter, Sean Farrington. That, that, that you do need to... Listen, that man knows what he's talking about. If he is struggling to work out what the bill means... What chance do we have? Across beds, hearts and bucks, this is BBC Three Counties Radio. Luton's been getting a kicking all morning. It's been rated as one of the least happy places to live in the country. Comes second from bottom in a list of more than 100 local authorities. That's according to the New Economics Foundation. Well, John is in Stopsley. Morning, John. Good morning, Ian. Luton, it's a terrible place to live. Everyone's miserable. No one should stay there. No, well, I've, li- I've lived in Luton and done some longer life. I've lived in Luton since I got married at the age of 24. I'm nearly 70 now. Blimey. Um, I go all over the... You know, I have holidays all over the place, but always pleased to come back to Luton. It's my family have always lived here. All of my family live here. It's got everything you want. You've got good transport links to anywhere you want to go. I mean, it's got good work here. I mean, my parents came from London. My wife's parents come from South Wales to work here in the 30s at Vauxhall. Mm. Um, There's plenty of sport. We've probably got one of the best football teams in the country to support. I'm not saying they're the best football team, but they're certainly the best one to support. You never know what they're going to do. But there's plenty of sports clubs. There's the athletics, the swimming, cricket, football You, you make it sound like a paradise, John. I'm moving there. Now, now, now I, know, I know we've got things wrong. You know, we got, you've mentioned this crummy busway they're going to build that goes nowhere. You're not a fan of that, then? <laughs> no, I'm not. Right. And, you know, you've mentioned um, rubbish in the streets and that. Well, that's not down to loot, and that's down to the people that live here. Yeah. Why do you think that this survey, then, has picked out Luton as being the second worst place to live in the country? Well, all the places you've mentioned, you've mentioned Reading, I think, Inner London, yep. Thurrock, um, they're all people with diverse populations. Yeah. 
aren't they? Now, yeah. has that got anything to do with it? Well, Luton's got quite a diverse population, hasn't it? Well, it has, yeah. I mean, it doesn't bother me, but, um... So, are, so you, are you saying that some people might be rating it low because they don't like the fact there's a diverse population? Yeah, they could be. I See, I like the diverse populations. You get the best restaurants, you get the most... You get lots of interesting people. I, I love all that. Yeah, I mean, I just like Luton. I mean, when I go yeah. away on holiday, I'm always pleased to come back here. And all my family live here. Say that again, sorry, uh, John. I mean, I'm always pleased to come back yeah, here when I'm on holiday. Of course you are, and you love it. Yes. So you, you, a big thumbs up for Luton, John. As far as I'm concerned, yes. Excellent stuff. Well, I'm glad we found someone in the end. Uh, and what would you say to all those people who've been knocking it all morning? Well, they can always go somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they can. They can always go somewhere else. John, thanks very much. Been a good sport. Cheers, there we go. Thank you. That's Johnny Stopsley in Luton. He loves it. He loves it. Been here for 45 years. Wouldn't go anywhere else. What do you think? You've got 20 minutes, 21 minutes you want to give us a call. And either agree with John or come up with uh, a, a different opinion. Eileen's in Luton. Morning, Eileen. Good morning. Uh, do you agree with John or yes, do you disagree? I do wholeheartedly. Good for you. Go on, tell us why. Um, I came to Luton from what looked like a chocolate box village. Yes. Um, we didn't have a pub, we didn't have a, a shop, um, you couldn't get home after seven o'clock, so if you went anywhere you had to get a taxi. Um, I live in Luton and I love it. How long, so how long have you lived here for, 31 Eileen? years. 31 years. Yes. It, it, it's changed a lot in those years, hasn't it? It has, yes, and from, to my way of looking at it, for the better. I love the diversity, I have friends of all different religions and colours and it's a rainbow town and I love it. Good for you. And, and let's be honest, the, 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 all those different um, the colours, they, they've all got the best food. Oh, haven't they? Oh, the, so. they've all got the best food. Haven't they? So what, why why did you move here, Eileen? What, what brought you here? Um, I moved here when I married. My husband worked in Luton. Right. Um, he worked at 80 Oliver's and he was employed um, there were times when he was out of work but we struggled through um, but we made good friends and I've still got good friends I'm 75 now mm. um, this evening I'm going circle dancing up at St Anne's Church Fantastic. Um, there's so much going on if you look for it yeah. I mean the fun we've had in Luton this year Lady Godiva coming wasn't that a brilliant day <laughs> yeah. It, yeah, it was good it was a lot of fun I think Luton's a great place Eileen for all those haters all those people that don't like Luton, what would you say to them? Well, if they don't live... If they live here, why do they live here? Yeah. And if they don't live here, why do they... Obviously, read it in the papers. It's all hearsay. Look at all the trouble we had about the 7-7 bombers who were just passing through, but we still get blamed for it. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, it's a good town to be in. It isn't the prettiest town, I must admit, but we've got gorgeous parks, we've got a good transport system. Eileen, <laughs> can, I ask you, can I ask you a personal question? Yes. And if, yes or no, it's entirely up to you. I haven't got... Um, uh, my grandparents aren't with me anymore. No. Would, would you be my adoptive nan? <laughs> I'd love to Would be. you? <laughs> can I call you nan when you call in? Of course you can. Fantastic. <laughs> i got a nan out of that and you've got a grandson. Eileen, thank you so much for calling in, nan. Lovely to talk to you. Oh, you've made my day. Oh, you've made my day as well, love. Thank you very much. I've got a nan! Yes! At last! After all these years, I've got a nan again. Thank you, Eileen. Wasn't she delightful? What a wonderful call. Right. Well, this, well she's a regular. Na nan's a regular. 
Uh, an email. What a surprise. Another report which states Luton is one of the worst places to live. I wonder if the researchers actually came here or if this report is a result of media-driven stereotypes. Look at that current Channel 4 series as an example of this, where the suspected terrorists come from. What a waste of research time, Dave in Luton. And on the text... I understand half of this text. Luton is the airport, non-league footy, up the Hatters. Two Weatherspoons pubs. What's not to like? <laughs> when you put it like that, I suppose there's no, you know. You're right. Thank you for that. And thank you, Eileen. What a lovely call. Uh, we've asked, been asking as well, um, streetlights. Should we keep streetlights on or turn them off? Hitchin is turning them off. Apparently it's saving a lot of money, but the residents are upset by it. Jane is in Aylesbury. Hello, Jane. Hello. What, what do you think about these streetlights? Should we keep them on or turn them off and save some money? Um, I, I, I think we should, um, keep them on. Uh, even if it's every two or something, turn off. Well, can I just say, this was my idea, that we, yes, <laughs> we have every alternate one on. That, that's why you, you halve the bill. That's yeah, something, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. We've had, uh, the, the, the councillor says there's, n- there's no increase in crime, if anything, crime goes down, and they've saved a million pounds in a year. Well, yeah, but do they, do they live in that area? Well, there's a good question. We should have asked him if he lives yeah, in the area that's gone dark. They, they'd say, um, well, yeah, no, actually, we, uh, somebody next door to me has been burgled. I was, I was, went to a friend's house in Presswood. Yeah. And, um, got there during the day, fine. Got that, got to get home at night. Instead of 20 minutes, it took me half an hour, I got lost. Because it was dark? It took me 50 minutes to get home because it was dark. Wow. No road, no street lighting in Presswood. At all. Well, Jane, listen, thank you very much indeed. Normally it takes 20 minutes, took somewhere between 30 and 50. We're not quite. That's a good question, Jane. I should have asked the councillor if he lives in one of the areas that's gone dark. That's an excellent question. Why didn't I think of that? You see, you're all better at this job than me. You'll come up with the best questions. I'm just barely getting by. Jonathan Vernon Smith at 9 o'clock will be asking, is it right to turn the lights off? Uh, on the big phone in always worth a listen if you if you, i know we've got a, we're getting more and more new listeners who tune into this rubbish thank you very much it's appreciated if you switch off at 9 don't give jonathan a, give, give him half an hour and see how you get on i th- i think you will like it a woman from buckinghamshire has found there's a huge demand for transgender jewelry sophie garner started making bracelets when her friend who cross dresses told her he couldn't get jewelry to fit him now in 4 months her business has more than doubled meaning she's thinking of taking on stuff to help deal with the order. Well, our reporter, Sophie Solaria, went to meet Sophie at her home in Whittlebury to take a look at her work. This range is is all made using a substance called acrylic, and each one of these is completely individual because of what happens during fabrication. This one here, the glitter, glitter and pink, you've literally got a UV uh, <laughs> yeah, light. Yeah, it's UV, and it creates its own light source, so it is completely illuminated, whether it's under light or not but obviously in a nightclub or something it just looks crazy and some of my clients they they call it the nightclub range <laughs> luminous orange it's a luminous orange there sophie how did you get involved with wanting to make men's jewelry because a friend of mine who is a female impersonator a very successful female impersonator was struggling to find jewelry that fits i wanted a range that was going to be bright and bubbly and outrageous and i made him a cuff bracelet and unfortunately it was a little bit too small and that's kind of where i thought i really need to go into this and make made to measure so are there not very many places that make 
men's jewellery or of women impersonators jewellery? If you Google, you will really struggle to get anything in this country. There are places that are making ranges in the USA, but I really had to Google to find anywhere. And just having spoken to female impersonators, particularly a couple of people in Brighton that um, I'm making for, and they've said that they either have to go into a specific shop in central London in Berwick Street or they have to order abroad so like Singapore it's not a high street thing this is a niche market and it's hard to find in that respect how popular have you found this jewellery range to be? It's completely gone where I didn't think it would go. I just thought this would be a little sweet little thing. You know, friends come round, you want to buy a bangle. I'm doing craft fairs, I'm doing house parties. So now I'm stocking in two shops. There's a well-known shop in London that has just placed a wholesale order. Did, did you ever think that making transgender jewellery would ever become this big? No. No, it's crazy. In an ideal world, I will start to do transgender parties. You know, that would be great, where somebody can actually come to a specific place, know that they're not going to be judged, that they can try on, because that they need to try them on, you know. Female wrists, pretty much six and a half inches, six inches. Men's wrists are so much bigger in the majority of cases, so they need to touch, feel, and, and try on. So, no, I didn't expect any of this. And I notice here that everything you've got are bracelets. What about earrings yep. for men? What about rings for men? Absolutely. Bigger fingers. So I'm going to be making matching rings. I'm going to be doing quite outrageous brooches <laughs> and necklaces, which I'm just making at the moment. I don't do small jewellery. I don't do trinkets. It's all about, I'm walking in the room, look at me, hello, don't ignore the cuff. And that's what this is all about. <laughs> Never ignore the cuff. I'm wearing some of uh, Sophie's jewellery. If you want to have a look, facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR. Well, uh, uh, Delia Johnston is a transsexual from Milton Keynes. Morning, Delia. Good morning. Is getting jewellery a real problem for transgender people? I mean, the bottom line, I think, is yes. Um, I mean, obviously, got to pick up slightly on the um, thing you just done there, where obviously there are cross-dressers who um, will go to nightclubs specifically and will party and be big time. Then you obviously got um, transsexuals, people like myself, who change gender. Yes. Um, but the reality is, yes, it is. I mean, I was fortunate. I spent the last 12 months working at London 2012 at the Olympics. And I met a lot of very tall women. You know, the athletes, if you look at the British women's rowing team, they're all about six foot. And they struggle as much as anybody else does. If you're big, you know, i.e. tall and bigger boned, you just can't find stuff on the high street at all. <laughs> so where, where do you go then, uh, Delia, to well, get things? Well, the answer is you struggle like fury. Um, the shop I go to, or the chain of shops, um, I don't know if I can say the name, but it's in London. Yep. It's Long Tall Sally. And you can also go to a couple of other sh um, online sites which specialise in tall ladies, I six foot plus. And I've been into that shop before now, and I find other females there who are six foot six, six foot eight. Blimey. Um, but you say that, but you know, it's, there are tall women. Of course there um, are, yes. And it's a struggle. If you go to M&S and look for the medium to large range, even that struggles. And I'm not particularly that big. You did, just go back a second. You mentioned you, you worked at the 2012 Olympics. What were you doing? What was your role? Um, I was officially doing what's called accreditation, which is these badges everybody had to wear, um, be it sports people, dignitaries, uh, participants. I did all that. 
<coughs> plus I was working at the VIP hotels and also lived in the Olympic Village. You lived in the Olympic Village? Oh, that doesn't everybody. Uh, no, I didn't. No, I missed out on all that. <laughs> I missed that gig, Delia, for goodness sakes. Well, yeah, it's, it's quite, it, quite, it was quite a privilege to be um, yeah, living there for two weeks and seeing the world's elite around you. That was certainly... Uh, Sophie there mentioned uh, the possibility of transgender jewellery parties. Like, you get... Um, I, I'm going to say something that's going to age me now. Tupperware parties. There are kids going, what? What's, what's what? a Tupperware party? What, what's that? Exactly. Would, is, would, would that be something that you'd, you'd be keen um, to do? I think the reality, there's, there's a subtle differences here. There are people like myself who, um, obviously, I've changed gender three, yes. four years ago, and I'm happy where I am. Getting jewellery is a problem anyway, but any tall female has the same problem. Yep. But also, there's the other group of people, which was hinted at at the interview. The, the transvestites. Uh, well, no, it's more cross-dressed. We don't use the word trans. Do we not use that word? Is that, not, is that really, not oh. really? It's, it's more cross-dressed. Is that, that an offensive word these days? Um, depends on your connotation. Okay. Anyway, Ooh, sorry if I offended you. <laughs> Um, we use the word cross-dressing more. But no, cross-dressers and people who have started the process of changing gender, um, they will need extra support, absolutely, and they've not got the confidence necessarily to go into the Debenhams or John Lewis or, you know, wherever to find what they're looking for. Ah, oh, man, just go in. Just go in and do it. Just no, go it, in. Do, do people not, don't care anymore, do they? Do they? Oh, oh, do they? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, certainly in Milton Keynes, where I live, um, I've just had a situation where a person who just started gender change was um, humiliated by a large oh. um, supermarket. Really? Um, they've now apologised profusely. Yeah. But, but uh, no, it still goes on. Um, unfortunately, it's still I guess it's because I kind of I, I kind of work in slightly poncy London media, <laughs> and everyone, anything goes. In, you know, everyone's like, oh yeah, well, whatever. It does, but I'm, I mean, but certainly where I worked at London oh. 2012. Um, I dealt with some dignitaries and heads of state from around the world. Some are embracing and some look at you as and say, what? Yeah, I bet. And of I course, bet. in some countries, people like me are still imprisoned or executed. Of course, terrible. Delia, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate okay, the time. pleasure. There we go, Delia Johnson, transsexual from Milton Keynes. Across beds, hearts and bucks, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Uh, right, let's go to... Um, oh, yes, mobile cameras, speed cameras are unsafe and cause more collisions on our roads than they prevent. That's according to an engineer from the Thames Valley area who has studied road safety data. Dave Finney says that his research is the first of its kind in the world and contradicts the research that police currently use. Well, Justin Dealey, our reporter, has been out all morning with a mobile camera unit from Bedfordshire. Justin, what's been happening? Ian, good morning. I can now officially reveal our location. That is Hazelwood Road, just as you enter Amptill in Bedfordshire. Again, joining us live here is Gary Milson from the Bedfordshire Casualty Reduction Partnership. So much I want to ask you in two minutes. You've caught nobody since eight o'clock this morning. Are you disappointed with that? No, no, I'd rather they keep the speed limit. So you're quite happy that you've caught nobody at all? Absolutely. It means that uh, they're behaving or we're doing our job and keeping the speeds down. Now, inside your van, you've got a DVD player which is attached to a camera and a laser. Just how accurate is that laser? Oh, it's very accurate, yeah. The laser operates at speed of light, so um, whatever it, it uh, is aimed at and targeted at, it's going to give you a result within 0.3 of a second. So 100%? 100%, yeah. The, the, the plus or minus is negligible. Now, these fines, where do these fines go? Just remind us. Basically, they go to the government. So it's not a cash cow as far as you're concerned. For, for local government, it all goes straight to, to central government. There's a misconception that the money goes to the police. Unfortunately, that's not the case. It goes to the government. The government do what they will with it. In saying that, though, a lot of people this morning have been slowing down, then speeding up. These cameras, are they really that effective in the back of your van? Well, we like to think they are, yes. Um, 
we've had figures before that show that um, deaths and, and serious injuries and accidents have considerably on certain roads because we're there so if that's the case then that's good okay the signal's not great this morning one final question to you um of course some motorists that they do slow down you've actually seen motorists stop in the middle of the road that can't be safe can it surely it's not but then who in the right mind would slam their brakes on like that i mean it it was a perfect emergency stop that the individual carried out and i'd like to think he would do that if he came around the corner at speed and there was a young lady with a buggy in the middle of the road but normally it's just that they're not sure what the speed limit is and they panic and that's obviously bad driving okay there you go the words there this morning of gary milton who is from the bedfordshire casualty reduction partnership sadly ian well i say sadly it's a good thing that that nobody has been breaking the speed limit Justin, that one or two have Justin, you are, disa- you are disappointed that you didn't get to bust anybody <laughs> this morning let's be honest i'm not at all i'm breaking news talking about tupperware there yep. uh, gary well his lunchbox is made of tupperware there we go you see you, you're a genius at tying up all the loose <laughs> Sends, Justin. Thank you for that. Thanks, Ian. See you later. You see? Tupperware parties. Honestly, ask your mum. Ask In the 70s, Tupperware parties were big. People would go round to someone's house, have a few glasses of wine, and look at plastic containers. I know, that's what they do. The 70s were so rubbish, you missed nothing. Right, that's it. What a packed show this morning. Thank you very much for everybody who called in. I got a nan. I got Nanny Eileen out of it. To me, that's a good show. Show is back tomorrow at six. Stick around. JBS is up next. Ta-ta. Getting beds, hearts and bugs talking. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Ian.